when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. What's good, Internet? It's December 16th. Not your apartment. 2022. (laughs) And you are listening to Waypoint (laughs) Radio episode 531. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, and I'm joined by Ricardo Contreras. What what just happened? (laughs) Did I miss something? Patrick Lepic. It's not even what that's it got well, I guess, crisped. Whatever, maybe whatever, whatever kind just of happened. <laughs> yeah. I have to, I'd have to go too loud. I don't know what what does a mouse sound like. Anyway, yeah. Uh, and Renata Price. You know what, Rob? If it makes you feel any better, my my home is also saturated with mice. Uh, does that does that help? I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's good to know that we stand in solidarity. Exactly. Uh, that yeah, we are exactly. both that, that we are both fighting that. Okay, but this uh, isn't a problem. For a little while now, it's come up here and there. And then when Rob has to send a message to our managers to be like, I have to deal with something. I said to myself, (laughs) we have reached an inflection point. And then you were tweeting and I was like, oh, the frustration is pure and raw. And I need you to walk me through what happened yesterday. Okay, so uh, there's been a shift in mouse like. Uh, nocturnal patterns of late where they're running now on to and it's weird this hasn't happened before but they are now uh during the night they're running on to the kitchen counters and such uh, so it's not so, as though ah. like hey the temp sometimes when the temperature drops that's going to change the uh <laughs> the, well, you know, so, the attitude of the animals so for, for two things reason. two things did happen like yeah uh autumn autumn arrived and then a neighbor did a huge gut renovation mm-hmm. which <laughs> like tons of people in the building have talked about like uh like there was an exodus of mice from that unit which basically sat empty uh for about a year and a half okay so mm. we do not know how many mice were in there you know what i mean it's like one of those right. things where it was an it was effectively an abandoned double unit uh, that like the, the snowbirds who lived there took forever selling it. Uh, and, and so like, God knows how many were in there. And that pushed a bunch all around the, the building. And this building is like completely Swiss cheesed with, with holes and gaps. So it's a difficult situation. Uh, but it was like sort of contained where it's like, okay, we know we got a bunch of them. They're like being annoying and running around the floors at, at night, et cetera. we, uh, this is partly like why like, it's been escalating, right? We're like, okay, uh, we need to put traps down. Well, we went um, from ethical traps. I think like this is one of the last places we left it. Where we were just, I, I was talking about how I had a couple in the garage, got some of the ethical traps and like brought them out. You know, you just take them like a mile away, drop them oh, hold off. Hold on, hold then, on. You're talking yeah. about non-lethal. No. Uh, lethal okay. is also ethical. Uh, <laughs> can you? But I believe your, I believe your, I believe your partner like was at the point where like you know what 
She Fuck is now mice. telling me we need to get glue traps, and I'm holding the line. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh my Have they gotten God. into your food yet? Well, no, because because we knew the building had such mice issues a while ago, we had them getting a lot of food in the pantry like fairly early in the pandemic. Okay. And so like that's like we are we have a huge storage problem because everything is like in a big plastic tub, et cetera. So like mm-hmm. food is is pretty safe, but of late they have started like coming onto the kitchen counter. Uh, and like that's a food prep area. You don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Okay. Like so, every day now for the last week or so, my day starts with having to take everything off the kitchen counter, spray everything down, and then put it back. Uh, because it's just got to be. You don't know where they've been, but you know they've been up there, etc. Uh, you got to get a camera. You got to get a camera. Oh, maybe I do need a camera. Just buy a cheap one. You like you can don't have to get like a. Nest or whatever. Unless you want to use this get a really ex- expensive camera. Don't you have an extra? I was gonna say, night, like, I, 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 I shouldn't have said this because he could just buy a twenty dollar, like, like cheapo one that, like, don't put, like, put on a guest network, you know. Um, but I feel like you're gonna end up spending like two hundred fifty dollars on like a Ford camera. Well, hold on, hold on. I've got, I've got the Sony, and I've got under cabinet lighting. I could leave on low. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would bet you the Sony can push. At least well enough to see like where those fuckers are coming in from. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Oh, but I bet you the Sony wouldn't work because like a little like trail cam night vision thing would have a big memory card where it could just record all night. And like the Sony's not gonna be good for that. Or not even have to worry about a you know, you could pay for cloud storage thing for yeah. ten bucks for one month and not even worry about any local storage. But something to look into if it if yeah. it if it continues to just just it could get a sense of like where they are coming from i have a similar so i don't have a mice problem but i have a fly problem but it's not like a problem problem but clearly some flies got into some business somewhere in the house no idea where cannot figure out where they're coming from but every day there's at least two flies that i need to swat wake up the next day there'll be two more flies that's annoying as hell Two more flies. You know, I've 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 I had a a fly birthing issue, <laughs> reproduction issue in our laundry room. I think I've told that story on the podcast before, where there was like a hundred of them in the in the in the laundry room. That's e- like that's gross, but I was I was easy enough to take care of. Put in these strips, shut the right. door, come back in a day later. I don't know what to do with these. Like I assume I'm just slowly killing a population of flies, and at some point they'll stop appearing. Well, sort uh, of. So I will say this: uh, we've been. Like, it turns out uh, the the little like quick uh, electric tra- kill traps, um, like they've been working really really well. Mm-hmm. And you would think that would have diminished the mouse activity meaningfully. Like we're talking like pretty routine. Like oh, like you know, trap got another one. Uh, They're like my flies. It's just the How next many per day. You, uh, like we are talking about like a killer two per day. Hey, Patrick. A kill or two per day? I mean, if yeah. they've and just then, been repopulating unchecked in the walls hey Patrick. of an apartment for a year and a half. I mean, I don't know. I can't crunch the numbers. I feel like someone can write in and tell us. But like, it wouldn't shock me if there were 100, right? Like, I'm just pulling a number out of my ass. Like, would that be wild to imagine that over the course of a year and a half? That no, just- I mean, and, well, and the other thing is that because the there is no, like, hard separation between the units – I would bet you across this building, there's probably hundreds. 
Right. Um, it's because mm. it's a huge building. So like, but you would think at this point they would have gotten the message that like, hey, when when <laughs> don't mice, go into this one. When mice didn't come back last night. When mice follow the smell of delicious peanut butter into this one particular like like room, uh, we we tend not to see those mice again. Uh, but that is not that's not sinking in. Uh, and so like again, yeah, this is how bad the the problem is in the building. Is we're like you know the the traps are the traps are working. Uh, and it is not like diminishing the activity. But yeah, yesterday um, opened some drawers where you do not want to find uh, mm. little mouse leavings. <sighs> and it was a it was a moment where it's like, OK. I now have to. Unpack basically all my kitchen because we will not be able to eat until I like ha- like handle this problem. Uh, and so I've got to unpack the entire kitchen, uh, like wash everything and spend a lot of the day, like crawling into uh, like, I, we'd sealed up a lot of the obvious places where they're coming from. So this was a, this was a day of like, okay, what are the, what are the non-obvious places, uh, they, they could be operating, but you know, the further you look into these things, the more you start to realize there's no, like the way this apartment is, there's just no winning. Um, yeah. The the big the big issue is that building services run down 12 stories. Uh, so water, ventilation, electric all come up through the shaft uh, in my kitchen. Uh, between the kitchen, and, like this crawl space uh, that runs down 12 stories. And that's just kind of they just kind of installed. Cabinetry in front of a big hole in the wall. That they left for all these services to come through. And then to top that off, one of the cabinets, uh, the corner cabinet, doesn't have an interior wall. So I'm, I'm, I'm sticking my head in there. And now my head is fully in the cabinet, like next to the sink. And I lean around the corner. And now I am staring into like the black abyss of like this, this gap uh, between it and the sink cabinet. Mm-hmm. And that runs all the way around the corner back to this giant hole that runs through the building. So there's like a like four foot hole in a cabinet uh, that feeds into like another enormous hole that runs the length of the building. And even if I seal the the the, the hole in the cabinetry, they have now like penetrated so many of the cabinets that like they basically have unfettered access from mm-hmm. the building wide uh like services chase to anywhere in my in in my apartment isn't this like at the, at the point where th- you collective action should occur and that everyone should just pour some money into hiring somebody to to escalate matters now the granted building- that doesn't that doesn't stop you know mice coming back another time but it, clearly there is a centralized hub that could maybe use some cleaning up the building has exterminator contract, um, but it is also just like the the mice of Lowell had 50 years to make their homes in abandoned mill buildings mm-hmm. uh, around the downtown. And so it is like the situation can never be fixed completely. It can be mitigated. But so the building does stuff. And then it's kind of on you to harden your unit as best you can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with my mice, uh, when I when we call an ex- call an exterminator, 
a man shows up with a couple pieces of metal, cuts them up, and then just glues them over holes in the wall and goes, okay, bye. Uh, and then walks <laughs> out within like 35 <laughs> seconds. Like that is that is the extermination process, at least in my experience. So we, so we have an exterminator, uh, a very small fellow, uh, very nice, very polite, shows up. And he crawls around in the tiniest little spaces you never think to get to. Uh, and he's got a real mind for it. And he he really like he's like, like you know he's thinking he's thinking like that yeah he is he's like you know if I were would you if describe I were him mouse, as mousy pardon would you describe him as mousy I, maybe not mousy but like a bit like a bit rodentine uh, certainly <laughs> oh uh, and his yeah so he like we have a contract now with this exterminator they come back regularly to like like exchange traps uh clean up see how progress is going but his but his like basic final word on it was like there's limits to what we can do with this situation until we get at these like structural parts of your unit have you considered that you may just be living in the apartment from silent hill for the room because I feel like that is what you're describing here at times, and I think that's that's tough. That's going to be hard to fix if if you do have a portal to Silent Hill in your cabinet. I think so. We we have discussed like, is this just kind of a a, a cursed unit? Uh, you know, is it a mm-hmm. place maybe we've outgrown, and we delete all messages of the mouse problem off social media, and then sell this <laughs> unit and move somewhere else. Um, but. You know, it also occurred to me, you know, this could be an opportunity. Uh-huh. Because if you're saying, like, what I'm being told is this problem can only be solved by getting down to the, like, foundational structural elements of this unit. Of this unit. Oh, Jesus Christ, Rob. And so suddenly it's like we have no choice, but at least to, like, you know, put in new cabinetry. And maybe refresh that kitchen. Bring something, bring things up to the standard of an induction range. And from like, have I've you could, gotten a quote for any of that yet? Yeah, <laughs> bro. Uh, I so I, I talked to a, I talked to a counter and cabinets guy uh, <laughs> like earlier this year. Okay, it's a small unit, so it's not that bad. That's that's the thing. This is not a very mm-hmm. big house, mm-hmm. and so like. I had been expecting that it was going to be just a ridiculous number. It was not a ridiculous number. I don't it, know what your definition of that is. That I, is I have line? no idea what that line is. <laughs> okay, not so, trying to blow up your spot. You don't need to share the number. I'm no, just saying. But like, you, I'd always heard stuff that like, oh, you need to spend like $40,000 on a kitchen or or, or more. Well, a, ki- a, a kitchen big. kitchen, right? Like right. Yeah. the kitchen in my house, just because it's like bigger and it's in like a proper house. That's essentially your baseline would start at. 30 grand and go right and that's kind of what i was expecting to hear here and when i started told him the the square footage and all that and like you know we'd be talking in terms of uh you know counter counter space etc no it's 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 much more like in the you know ten thousand dollar uh here's here's the i uh i remember when you replaced your dishwasher wasn't one of the issues that when you it was pulled out other issues were discovered. Is there a risk here of the best of intentions to replace this, to get things better, 
But maybe, just maybe what you have, Rob, is just barely holding things back. It is a big Band-Aid. It's got holes in it. But if you were to remove that, one would discover much worse things hiding underneath. I, you know, it is it is possible. Like, that is the, like, what happens if we pull up the floor, for instance? This is what happens um, every time in my house. The people that, that we bought the house from consider themselves amateurs uh, to like amateur contractors. And ha- I did just enough to aesthetically cover up things. But the moment you scratch beneath the surface, like basically every time we have a new issue in the house and I have a new uh, someone to come out and deal with something, whether it's a pipe or a w- whatever, almost every time they have turned to me with deep apprehension and said, did you do this yourself? And I have to explain every time, whatever issue you are describing, no, I didn't. But the person who owned this house before absolutely did. Like we had a, we had a, um, like the place where you connect your, your hose out in front, um, just started bursting some water. And so, uh, turned that off and was like, well, I wonder, you know, you start with, can I, I wonder if I can fix that myself. Um, and based on my diagnosis of the problem, I looked up a YouTube video and it involved like buying metals from Home Depot and blowtorching them, which is very much like, okay, that is that is beyond <laughs> me unscrewing a thing and putting it back on. Uh, and so I had uh, a plumber come out to take a look at it. And I mean, his eyes went wide as he started taking it apart. He's like, what is this putty on here? I'm like, I don't know. He's like, this is not what you what? You take the putty off, and then the pipe just moves back and forth. It's supposed to be in place somehow. And I'm like, I oh, don't no. know. I don't know. I don't know. This happens every time in this house. Um, and we've been fortunate. It's never been anything catastrophic. It is mostly yeah. minor issues that result in somewhere between like 500 to to $1,000 of a repair. Oh. I don't know. Every six months. So, I'm not saying that's great. I'm not like cheering for this. Here. But it is not. it is not the case where like we've had something burst and cause – home insurance level damage so like right. that can happen in houses so I, right. I it's annoying like every time i look at an outlet and like i touch it and it can spin um <laughs> or most recently um we went into uh my youngest daughter's room and we're changing the sheets on her bed and it happened to move the bed and her bed's a little lower at the moment and it was like why is there a pool of water down there that could be for any number of reasons. That could be because she brings her water bottle in there and like the cap was loose and she, or she was playing with it. No, you pull it aside and it turns out like like part of the not the flooring, but like what do you call it? Like the little stuff that runs along the bottom of the the the, the wall, like the, the baseboard. Uh, yeah, like yeah, like near that area. But like things were not lined up properly, and basically there was a hole to winter. That was sitting there, blasting <laughs> cold air up against a mattress. So that what the cold air was, was coming condensing? in, condensing and then creating water in that area. So I, wow. it was as simple as me going to buy caulk and uh, you know, like like fixing Jeez, you know fixing that. Christ. But like that is like a constant sort of minor emergency that occurs in the house once every six months. It's like all oh, those fuckers that sold us this house. I'm glad they didn't do anything horrible to it, but it is just a escalating series of, I really wish you had just paid people to do this. Cause now I'm paying people to do this it. Thing, for me. Like, I'm like, it, to me, it feels like all the stuff held up. Okay. Since the building was converted in the eighties, but at some point someone's going to end up holding the bag. For all the shit that's just like mm-hmm. piling up with the <laughs> units in the building. And it turns out it's me. 
it turns out <laughs> that I am the person who like, you know, building has been standing here for like 25 years and I'm the person who's like, this can't be deferred anymore uh, because now this has been rendered into a giant mouse terrarium that is as fit for mice as it is for people. <laughs> and that's a problem. Now, I was starting to think about this. I was getting really depressed last night. I spent a lot of day yesterday being really depressed because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you get in your feelings when you spend the entire day like your eyes are irritated from allergies, you're breathing all sorts of cleaning fumes, etc. But then it occurred to me like. This is a beautiful opportunity, you know, and that's just how you got to look at this is this is my time <laughs> to show what I can achieve, like with interior design and decor. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my this is my moment to create something beautiful mm-hmm. that. I will enjoy living in and that I'm sure other people will be like, I will pay a 25% market premium over, you know, the, the pay, the value of a similar home because of these choices that this, uh, renowned esthete that, that owned this unit, uh, made when, when he was renovating it. Does it also mean that we'll be able to do a stream where we watch you look at cabinets? Yes. Okay. Then I'm on board. I'm on board. Let's go. <laughs> Rob, I just want to say I'm 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 really proud of you for pushing back on those cognitive distortions. <laughs> I think I think I beat them. Like I like <laughs> you you know, I was I was spiraling, but now I think I've got the the right framework. Uh it is it's an opportunity. It's a blessing really. Mm-hmm. Uh and if I, we can figure out how to like get the money uh to to do this. <laughs> that would be you know i think we could really do something here i think i think we're 40 i'm gonna say if rob has a really bad year we're one year away from rob becoming the protagonist of a coen brothers film i think that like the i think that the mice infestation could be feels to me like the step one this is the tip in a coen brothers yeah, yeah yeah this is like this is the this is the instigating moment well, I like I think uh, I just start a little gambling stream um, <laughs> to get some extra money. Oh There's a God. couple that Twitch seems OK with. And it's just, I, it's a little unethical. But look at these cabinets. Readers. <laughs> Rob, I know. I know a guy who runs underground poker games for a living. I can I can. Okay, now we're just doing job. Michael Clayton. <laughs> and I do love Michael Clayton. <laughs> You know, and I, and I, you know, I've always considered myself, I am not one of those people that shit's always falling out of the sky around. Uh, so yeah, you know, let's, let's fucking do it. Let's, let's hook me up with those underground poker games, uh, and, and get, get me a kitchen. I will say this. The thing that does appeal to me is like, I have not lived in a place, uh, basically ever where like, Patrick, you're talking about like, boy, this outlet sure is loose. This floor sure is not just not unlevel. It's like weird and warped. And mm. like there's places where the laminate flooring is just like sort of pouched up. And you, you like I get a weird like floaty motion sickness when I pass over some steps because it's like you're on solid floor. And then it's like you're on a waterbed for like a split second. Oh, there, there was there was part of there was part of my uh, the whole infrastructure of the front door yesterday. I leaned out to grab my mail and like something budged a bit. And I'm like, I'm just going to ignore that. And that's, that's yeah. that seems like a problem. But 
I'm gonna not I'm not gonna tell my wife that happened and we're just gonna wait till that's a bigger problem and not lean against the door in the future. <laughs> we so like this like parts of this building, there's thing like the door, the door is not hung on a frame. They didn't frame out a doorway. They took drywall. They used carpenter's nails to tap trim into the drywall around nice. the door. And they hung the door off the trim. Uh, nice. What? This is what we are talking about. <laughs> nice. This is this is this is my home. Why is why is this place filled with fucking mice? <laughs> anyway, uh listen, uh so we have a we have a bit of a special show for you. Uh, in a little bit, we are going to bring you an interview Patrick and I did with Robert Ashley, the host and producer of A Life Well Wasted, which is a terrific video game, uh, like almost documentary podcast that has been on a mostly unplanned hiatus for about a decade, but which just released a new episode this week. Uh, but first, you know, I always say people should follow Renata Price at Renner Raven on Twitter.com because you will get breaking news updates like this <laughs> shem the gem loving formerly negative one years old dwarven child Shit. she sadly had to be killed after transforming into a werebeast attacking and killing four people thoughts and prayers uh to renata's dwarf hold uh thoughts and prayers to to all the the shem fans and shem stands that are out there <laughs> but ren the whole world loved shem the gem-loving yep. negative one-year-old who evidenced a complete lack of empathy for other living beings. Can yes. you explain what happened and how is it that your dwarf hold in, in, uh, in Dwarf Fortress is not overrun with werebeasts? So last podcast, I would say minutes, minutes after recording, um, I checked in on my, I checked on my little dwarf hold, um, and a were panda did attack. Pan- panda, um, wow. Yeah, were panda. Yeah. Um, a were panda did attack. Um, didn't kill anyone because I had a very very well trained military. Um, the miners corps that we've discussed previously, uh, managed to run out and one shot the were panda. Uh, after the panda attacked four people. Okay. Uh, attacked and maimed four people, uh, three of whom were bitten, one of whom was just, like, torn up. So the three people who were bitten uh, were a, a gem cutter, uh, Shem, the child, uh, and then a recruit in the military. Um, and so those were the three people bitten. And then there was a month period where I was like, I know these people are definitely werebeasts. I'm, I'm like, pr- I'm like pretty sure these people are going to turn next year. I have to find some way to contain them uh, when that happens. Um, and I did not do that fast enough is, is what I'll say is what I'll say. That didn't that, that process did not occur even close to as soon as you needed it to. And so uh, when the next full moon came, Shem was down in the caverns underneath our fortress because children can just roam unsupervised. Uh, and so Shem had wandered into the caverns below the, forest, below the fortress. We're like, to be clear, monsters live. We had just killed like four monsters down there. It's like a problem. Um, 
And this child was wandering around down there. They turned into a werepanda. Uh, and then the problem was they turned into a werepanda right near the stairs, which are the only way in and out of the caverns. Mm. And so other dwarves would have to be like, well, I have time to carry this bundle of, of gems or like bundle of stone up up the stairs. Let's let's go team. Uh, and then we'll have to walk past Shem, the werepanda, uh, who killed four people. Oh, no. Shem did Shem did kill four people just straight up. Had the highest KD of any of the werepandas. The other ones went down really quick because the mining core was right next to them. The miners' core were were fast but she found herself scene. a little layer. She went where the monsters yes. live and became one herself. Yes, she she produced a layer. That is exactly what happened. And so, uh, I did have to send down um, a recently trained mil. And by recently trained, I mean the woman had been training in the military for about three days. <laughs> uh, and so, I did send her down to uh, fight Shem, and it didn't go great she didn't die and you know what that's the important part <laughs> well i mean given what happens to where beast bites though sometimes it's better if people do die are you are we are we yes. confident that 100 percent. Oh, there's like four more infected people it's gonna be a problem <laughs> oh no. okay okay yeah so this you, is this is becoming a spiraling issue okay um just to so so is the plan are you gonna try to pen them in can you like no trap them? I'm going to I'm going to produce a secret fifth branch of the dwarven military. <laughs> okay, so a, so we're men in blacking the a, uh, yes, the dwarfold. Yes. <laughs> yes, they will be. There will be another branch of the dwarven military made up entirely of survivors of werebeast attacks, who I can then, when the full moon comes, set them on patrol or to station in like a little room, and then lock that fucking door. <laughs> um, but the rest of the year, I'm going to have those motherfuckers doing military training year round because I, I cannot trust them to not do shit, <laughs> to do other shit and potentially not be in the room I can lock when I need them to be. Well, that sounds incredible. I can't I can't see any ways that yeah, the uh, the werebeast uh, commando mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, now will they, when you lock them wrong. all in this room, well, do they all yeah. turn simultaneously? Does, yes. OK. Are they going to start fighting each other? They'll kill each other. <laughs> I don't think they'll kill this each other be... because I believe werebeasts treat the, treat each other as friendly. Okay. Now, now, here's the thing. Mm. When werebeasts turn back into humans, mm there is a short period where they are still enraged. So there <laughs> may be a small, small chance that while still enraged, the entire unit will kill each other. Uh, good. Great. Can, you, By the can way, you put them into individual cells? Even the, yeah, I could probably be, do that. Like bed chambers that you I can I tried lock? to do that. <laughs> I tried it, to do that. The problem is escalating beyond the capacity uh, to build prisons for this, I think, too, is is kind of what it yeah, sounds this, like. This is like, this is past work orders, right? Like you can't get them in there at a certain time on purpose. No. You have to like manually be like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, you in there? The thing, you can't you can't manually tell your dwarves to do anything. That's part of the well, thing about you, Dwarf Fortress can, is that like as opposed to other colony sims where you can tell someone, go walk in. If I play Rimworld, I can tell someone 
go walk into yeah. this room and do this task. You cannot do that in Dwarf Fortress. You just have to give work orders in such a way where their manager gives them the right order at the right time. I was going to say, can you set up a burrow for them? to? Because I feel like you could turn burrows on and off. They don't listen to burrows. <laughs> Dwarves don't listen to burrows. Who are we fucking kidding? Burrows are a thing in Dwarf Fortress where you can basically say... I want these dwarves to only stay in these areas, generally. Um, they can leave to go to other areas, but generally I want them to be living and working in these two floors, for example. Um, but here's the thing. Those are suggestions. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, only, it's too porous. Uh, right, well, the I, only thing... Yeah. Oh, sorry, please. Go for it. I was gonna say, the only thing they really listen to is, is emergency civilian alerts. Uh-huh. Like, if you set up a bunker... For civilians to go into, civilians do listen to that specific one, mm. but generally are are pretty bad about it. <laughs> and that one's uh, civilian wide. You can't be like just the yes. civilians who are. Yeah, you can't you can't send an amber <laughs> alert to like the werebeasts. That's like, hey, uh, I heard there's like some like big piles of top sirloin in this one room. <laughs> you gotta go get it. Just we got a real tons and tons of bamboo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I can't wait to to hear more about how the uh, how this situation that you're managing uh, unfolds. Uh, it's, it seems like we all got a bit of a, a pest problem we are we are working on this week. Uh, Patrick, I see that you've been playing a bit of high on life. So are you I have <laughs> Am I high on life? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I played about 90 minutes of high on life, which is the new first person shooter uh from what is that squanch games i think is the is the studio uh which is uh founded squanch. by uh uh justin uh working through something <laughs> it is a hard word squanch. to not say squanch squanch <laughs> do we want to all get it out of our systems real quick yeah. squanch squanch mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. nice wait let me get let me take a second pass at that one Squanch, mm, the fancier uh, yeah. uh, squanch. Uh, More nasal. They, they've done a lot of VR uh, games. It was uh, co-founded uh, by Justin Royland, uh, one of the co-creators of Rick and Morty. Um, a show I quite liked for like the first two seasons, and then I think it was around the great um, uh, the, sauce? Was the, the sauce incident, the sauce um, that 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 turned me on the community and thus i just never quite got back around yeah i've heard the show is fine like it's like it's if you like the show it's still pretty good i just i just sort of fell off it because i found the the community so insufferable but i really truly like loved those first couple of seasons of of that show and so as much as i have soured on justin roiland's inability to do a voice that is not just the, the morty voice uh over and over again uh I have to admit there's there's uh something about that uh that humor that I frequently do find interesting but all, you know Rick and Morty is a Dan Harmon Justin Roiland production I uh also quite liked Community and that was a Dan Harmon production and so this is like my first time sitting down and playing something sort of explicitly built around uh Justin Roiland's uh like slice of the Rick and Morty experience um I think a lot of people have their understanding of this game prior to launch has been it's very colorful. It was a Stadia game that got canceled as Stadia went under. And also everyone talks a lot. Um, I, th- I think they've said that there's a chance that they might have the most amount of dialogue in a video game. I don't know if they were being facetious or not, but it's sort of irrelevant. Mm. It feels that way. <laughs> uh, the high on life is uh, we're talking like your verbosity on the Bubsy scale here. 
uh, yeah, it's like certainly in concert with um, For Forspoken, a game that also is extremely talky. Um, mm. we, we can get to unpack this a little bit more in a bit, but like, I mean, both games have literal options in the audio settings to change the frequency of chatter, not uh, just amongst enemies, but amongst like, <laughs> if you're in theory, main characters mm. uh, that, are, that are with you. Um, High Life, the, the, the premise is you are a character you can kind of pick gender appearance so it's sort of uh, irrelevant um, because really the main character is this gun but basically aliens land at your house you and your sister were getting ready for your uh, parents to be gone your sister immediately takes out the cocaine ready to have a rip-roaring high school party uh, when aliens land outdoors uh, and then you are thrust into trying to save humanity uh, because the aliens that landed were going are are not here to take over Earth, but are just to grind everyone into a pace that they could turn into drugs. They just want to get high off of humanity. So you are off to find some sort of solution to this issue in the grand uh, world of space. Uh, you know, <laughs> the thing that I found interesting, despite the reviews of this game being pretty mixed, I, I didn't sit down to play it until after critics had sort of spent their, their time with it, was it's very rare that you get games that explicitly want to be funny. Uh, it's very rare that you get games that present themselves as we are trying to, to make you laugh. We want to be comedic. Uh, frequently humor is laced within game writing um, or is like in the case of a return to monkey Island or adventure games from like the Schaefer and Gilbert like tree are they're funny, but they're also like good puzzle games, interesting stories. Uh, High in life is very much. It's a million quips a minute. We're trying to, uh, and it's almost as though that like, that's the promise is look, if this joke doesn't land for you, don't worry. There's another one around the corner, um, and, and maybe that one will hit. Uh, and the frequency, it's, it's interesting because I've only played 90 minutes, and so the game is itself talky and overwhelming in the way that all games are, or many games are. So it doesn't it hasn't quite graded to the point that I could easily imagine it being hours uh, from now, given that it's supposed to be like, you know, some 10 to 12 hour uh, adventure. Like the fact that my gun is talking to me every... 20 seconds like yeah like most games these days are talking to me whether it's through tutorial text or a character explaining the context of the world or the mechanics of the world and so that itself like you know the, if the voice doesn't work for you okay fine um if the if the the humor is off-putting okay fine um i will say like the humor is not grading on me yet and it's almost actually been a race to be like uh oh you got me like when we were watching the game uh what was the other thing we were watching it was like oh that joke Oh, so the, the joke got us, and we were like, we should make a count of when it actually made us laugh. I can't remember what the context of that was recently. Maybe it was the Game Awards, but there, there's a moment in this game was where it animal was it? Uh, what, does the Muppets being funny? Might have been. It might. I can't. I don't think that. I don't it, think it doesn't matter. But like, the animals funny, but yeah, yeah. We're surprised uh, that anything uh, at the Game Awards was funny, even if it was yeah. a Muppet. <laughs> but kind of situation where like you're being hit with so many things a minute that. You're you're keeping count more of like when you are when you do laugh than you when you when you don't. Right. And there's there's a moment in this game where you're heading down from sort of like the main top side to like what they call the slums. Like and you're like you're going through and as you're exiting through this tunnel to head to this sort of grimy area of the world, um, uh, a kid uh, comes in front of you and he's like it's like I'm just I'm just gonna call you meats. You're meats to me now. And he's, and he's like, I'm just a kid. You can't get by me. And you just try and walk around him. Can't get around him. Uh, try and jump over him. Can't jump over him. And he's like, I'm annoying. And you you fucking hate me. Uh, like, what are you going to do about that? And you don't seem to have any verbs. Like, I'm looking around. Like, is there like a tunnel I'm going to go through? Is there like a, there, there are kind of like dialogue options. Like nothing's coming up. 
And so I try to fucking shoot him. He's like a five-year-old kid, but I pulled the trigger on the gun, the you know, wow. and the gun wow. that you're holding to talk is like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing, buddy? I, we don't shoot kids in video games. So I'm like, okay, well, I guess there's going to be some other bit, and this is like a funny commentary on that. Okay, I get it. No other option. So I pull that trigger again. And the gun warns me. It's like, okay, re- like really, like this is not, like you don't do this here. And then you watch the reticle change from green to red, thus indicating <laughs> that you can fire. I shot that kid in the leg. Uh, and then you you go, you know, you go around the corner and there's a woman uh, and she uh, she's like, oh no, I heard, I heard some gunfire. What happened? You're like, well, we killed this, we killed this kid. She's like, oh, that was my son. Oh, thank God. <laughs> that, kid, that kid is a real piece of shit. <laughs> like, there's strong, like, taking the, the kid with bad ass. vibes yeah. and, like, turning it, turning it into a bit. And, uh, it actually kind of worked. It was, like, it was actually uh, pretty funny. Um, and the question is really going to be going forward, given the rapid pace of those quips, how often am I getting a moment like that that feels sort of subversive or transgressive and funny? Um, Based on the the hit rate so far, I'm worried that that is going to be too far between to make the game tolerable over the the span of 10 hours. Sure, yes. Could I turn down the frequency of chatter? I guess. But this is also a shooter, and it's not a very good one. It's fine. It's not the worst shooter I've played. But that's not what you're here for. Mm -hmm. Like, you are here for the interactions, the dialogue, the setups and payoffs. Uh, And so the notion of, well, I just like to get less of that, and I'd like to focus on the really like squishy feeling shooting in this game is like not, not what I, what I'm, I'm, I'm here to try out. So I'm curious to play a little bit more of it. Uh, again, like the shooting's not the worst thing I've ever played and the comedy is not the worst I've ever experienced, but it's interesting to play a game that is so forwarding that part of it. Um, and I, as I've seen, I haven't seen this part as much, but, uh, the way it's been described in reviews, uh, is that it's a game that is really self-aware that it's a video game and commenting on all that time and it's com- constantly going, God, what a shitty video game I am. But it's like, okay, but if you just are a shitty video game, like you don't get you don't get a pass right. for for saying so. <laughs> um, and I'm just not sure yet where it's gonna stra- end up straddling uh, that that line. And so I'm I'm curious to check it a little bit more just to see what that hit rate is. But my expectation is that about four or five hours in, maybe it becomes unbearable. <laughs> uh. Hey, speaking of unbearable, and actually, before we go to the interview, uh, Patrick, did you, did you want to hand in anything else, or are you okay saving it? I'm okay. I just, I would just, I would just uh, point people towards um, uh, that I finished Cyberpunk 2077, um, a game I also don't think I liked uh, very, very much. I'm glad I played it. It was, it was interesting. I'm, I'm curious about the expansion that they've got coming up sometime uh, next year. Uh, but yes, if you, if you want to. Uh, if you wanted to watch uh, my uh, playthrough of Cyberpunk 2077, uh, we wrapped that up uh, this week. Uh, we did not really, the game well, presented this option that I would get to be a real girl boss. I get to be a real corpo head. And actually, really, the game just sort of funnels you down really kind of one main personality path um, with some endings at the end. But uh, yeah, if you'd like to check in on that, uh, feel free to head over to the the final couple of videos around twitch.tv slash waypoint, and then everything will make its way to youtube.com slash waypoint vice uh sometime in the near future so i've been uh 
you know, I was looking for this. This was my last trip to New York. I was like, I need a little game on the go. Something that'll be fun to play on the uh, mm. on the Steam Deck. And you know, I love tactics. So I figured, what a perfect time oh, this to play game, triangle this strategy. One. Oh, we're doing this Woo! now, aren't we? Okay, good. I gotta Let's know. Go. <laughs> the other day, I mentioned I, I posted a tweet. I was like, uh, so the most powerful characters in this game these two little fucking annoying kids who just show up randomly and are optional characters to join your party there was some debate whether whether they're that powerful but their their set of special moves it seems pretty powerful but that's neither here nor there i played this game i was sort of shocked to realize i've been playing for 12 hours Hmm. and i don't know that i feel like it's gotten good (laughs) Mm mm-hmm the scales aren't tipping in the right direction for you. <laughs> no, I so and I, when, I, when I mentioned this, I was sort of taken aback by how many people showed up to comment on that tweet to just be like, "That game sucks. You need to quit right now." This is because it, it reviewed okay. Like this is a game right. that like didn't get like amazing reviews, but it got a lot of it got a lot of positive ones. Uh, a lot of people liked that game. Uh and I am suddenly sort of on the horns of a dilemma because I still feel like I'm in that mode of like, but it could get good. Mm. But I have to admit, I put in 12 hours and I would not describe those hours as having been particularly good. Mm-hmm. But does it, but does it, so I played four or five when we talked about it on the podcast. And my takeaway was if I played more of this, I don't think it's going to get any better than what it is. I don't know that it's going to get worse, and it was a purpose, a perfectly satisfying, very mid-strategy game that if all you're looking for is just to just scratch a little itch in the way that you would do a round in a roguelike uh, deck builder or something, or a Marvel Snap couple matches, that you could do worse. Actually, you know, you just put something together, the Marvel thing in Association Fire. It's actually not Marvel Snap to the point of comparison. It's Midnight Suns that's mm, the point okay. of comparison. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, I, too, was like, yeah, a little battle here and there, good little, like, thing to play, fun, you know, little tactics. Except there's so much story. Like, uh-huh. one yeah. battle happens, and then you will have two play sessions where no more battles take place. It's just two sessions of checking out on different characters. And, and talk to those of- scales of conviction. Oh gotta make God. choices. <laughs> and that's that's their whole little gimmick, and I don't know that it's particularly interesting. <laughs> you you do a you do a vote where like I don't know that I'm I'm bought in on that being like what a what a cool way to express uh the 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 sentiments of the party. Uh I don't know that I'm feeling that. But I think the big one is just it's such a generic fantasy world. Yeah. Uh and all the characters feel super like they they don't rise beyond the level of like stock characters and archetypes. And then they never shut up. And this is the thing. It's like the ratio is it's like an identical mix to Midnight Suns in terms of like playing the tactic stuff versus like hanging out and shooting the shit. Midnight Suns is like this is the point of the game. It's got like this stuff has got to like it, like these got to be bangers. Like hanging out with these people has to be fun. It's got to be cozy. It's got to be like charming. And I think that game succeeds broadly because of that. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to be playing that many battles, but the battles are fun. And then the stuff that isn't the battles is also fun. 
here I'm like, the battles are okay. And then tons of just like people yammering at each other. And the weird thing is I we're deep in the middle of the plot and it still has the feeling of a game that has not properly begun. That's the other weird thing, too, is like and I think it's because the characters are such ciphers that I'm like, I don't like a big early dilemma is like, basically, do you turn your best friend over to an invading army because uh, mm. he's he's the prince? They kill his dad. They take his sister hostage. So he's the sole remaining heir. Uh, do you turn him over uh, to the people that just like invaded and conquered the realm? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> like I don't like, I was like I don't know this seems this seems at least unconventional uh but it like but it just didn't have any it didn't have any like resonance like this is your character's best friend in the world and he's like I don't know guys I don't think anyone should die for me so I'm just I think you should just turn me over uh to uh you know to to the uh, well, that seems to solve some problems for us bro yeah Thanks. so I was like That's all right yeah nice done <laughs> uh so yeah it's a it's a bizarre game um and well, I think that's that's been uh, sort of the way I've responded to actually like a, a fair number of like recent Square Enix tactics games. Like when I look, what was the uh, yeah, like that deal field. Um, it's it's uh, in fact, actually, like I got I to admit you saying triangle strategy. I confused that with deal field until this just this very moment <laughs> when you when you said the other one. I've been thinking you've been playing deal field and you've been playing triangle strategy. But you know what? You know, that's part that's part of the issue is these generic fantasy templates that square has set up for these games that i find myself just very hard getting into the worlds of um even if the tactics layer like looks like it could be pretty all right the infuriating thing is that like i just started playing final fantasy tactics recently they know how to do this they they know how to do they some would say they are the experts in doing this. Those games are old though. That is twenty five years yeah, ago. Yeah. Uh, you so know, like maybe, that's the, the tactics. They knew how to do they this, but maybe they don't yes, know more. That's fair. <laughs> when the tactics ogre team, like that game just got remastered, and that's the team that went on to essentially like Tactics Ogre is 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 the game before Final Fantasy Tactics, which refines that formula to a, a real sharp edge. But um yeah, that was a that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you, the problem is this is now taking on a, on a momentum of its own. It's like, I'm playing it in bed. Just mm-hmm. like, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Should <laughs> the, the, uh, I can't even remember their fucking names. I can't like, yeah, you got Wolfheart, Gusta Dolphus, and uh sarah noah and uh frederica i remember those kids uh also like frederica like things escalate fast there where it's like she's a stranger from a strange land and she's your betrothed and she's like i am so ride or die for this new country i've come to and i don't know any of the people here (laughs) but like how can you do this usa whoa hold on Yeah, it's it's very much like took the citizenship, yeah, uh, like like test and immediately turned into like a reactionary. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just like I'm I'm not I, I'm like I'm I'm sort of just sort of drifting through it. Uh, I think the fact that it's working as a sleep aid is probably not a great sign for the game either. I think one Jesus. reason it's become a really good like bedtime game is I get through like two short cutscenes and I'm like. Oh, I could just roll over now and go to sleep. 
That sounds really good. This battle keep. This, this can keep to tomorrow. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, that's that's where things are at. Uh, people can weigh in if I should if I should keep. You know, I'm open to the. It gets good after 30 hours. I'm open to that. Just just let oh. me know. Just let me just know. Just lie to him. He doesn't even care if it's true. He just wants to be told that it might. There's still a uh, chance. <laughs> all right. We are going to take a quick break and then we are going to be back with Robert Ashley of A Life Well Wasted. And then we'll be back for a dip into the question bucket. So stick around. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. And we are back, joined by the writer and producer of the video game podcast, A Life Well Wasted, which is back after a long hiatus. Uh, Robert Ashley, welcome to Waypoint Radio. Hey, how's it going? Not bad. Uh, it's exciting times because I've been, uh, I'll be honest, I, I did let my subscription lapse about three devices ago to a life well wasted. Uh, I hadn't, I, I hadn't think it's quite... still on mine. I can check overcast to see if it may, if it made the transition over. Uh, but yeah, it, like a lot has happened. Time, times have changed. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious. But one thing hasn't changed and that's me. <laughs> that's not true i don't i don't know i've seen, I've seen your that. instagram you cook you spend most of your time cooking food and taking care of children now i'd say a lot oh, has changed that's true that's true that's true but i'm just the same old dickhead <laughs> I, I i you know and the show is like the same old show and i'm just trying to keep it as like um you know unaffected by time as possible but yes it has been a very long time and that freaks me out honestly i'm i've definitely like finishing the show this week has given me some like uh, intimations of mortality that I haven't faced in a while where I'm like, Whoa, wow, this is, I feel old. Really enough. Uh, that was a theme of the original run of the show as well. People sort of confronting, uh, different stages of life, career, uh, death of industries, et cetera. But for people, I think most of our listeners will know what a life well wasted is, but for people who aren't familiar with it, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the show was and what it is now? Uh, the way I would have sort of described it in shorthand years ago was it's a bit like uh, the video games Radio Lab or This American Life. Uh, and I'm, I'm curious if that if that stands up today, if that's a fair characterization. Yeah, I mean, that totally is. It used to bother me <laughs> uh, because I wanted to feel like I was doing something different. But yeah, it totally is just in the vein of uh, specifically This American Life the um, sort of Studs Terkel school of human interest stories, mm -hmm. the idea that you can go out and find um, someone who maybe isn't famous for any particular reason, but they might have a, like a worthwhile story to tell. And, you know, you just f focus on that. And the, the games part of it 
was really just a way of focusing it. And also just because I, you know, coming out of the games industry stuff when I was younger, writing for magazines and being on some podcasts, there was an audience for that already. And so I, I just sort of slotted right into that. Um, and, and yeah, the show's exactly the same. I mean, I'm using, the, I guess the other thing I would say, you said, you talked about like radio lab, the other thing that makes it different, it, it makes it its own thing is that I, I have original music for the show. And a, a lot of times the show, um, kind of like breaks into song or into some kind of musical thing. Um, I would say it has a particular kind of energy, uh, because you never know when that's going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's like a musical element to it. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the same, it's the same format. And I actually, I go back and I use a lot of the music that I used for previous episodes. Cause I'm really trying to keep the feeling of it. You know, I'm, I'm on episode nine, which is what episode are you guys on? Like, is this episode 500? Mm, uh, try, we try not to think, but you are, you're not far off. I think 600. actually like five thirty, five thirty one, something like that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when you, when, when you've only done nine, uh, you know, consistency is, feels like important, um, to sort of maintain the style. I mean, this show is so old that when I started it, I called it an internet radio show. And I've kept that because when it, when I started it, I like when you say podcast, it was this kind of thing. Like, you know, people talking in a room before Zoom or whatever, people just like hanging out and talking about stuff. And I was trying to differentiate it to be more like, no, this is like a show you'd hear on the radio. And now there's obviously like all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but yeah, well, it's, it, I mean, it's it occurs to me there was there was a point. It was sort of a seller's market for produced high quality uh, programs like this, you know, like you could have probably taken vice to the cleaners, uh, with this just a few short years ago or gotten Spotify to, to, to just fork over, uh, I don't know, potentially millions. Uh, yeah. To, and just then I could have put it all in crypto and been laying on a <laughs> beach in the Bahamas somewhere with a gun in my hand. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I know it's true. There were times where, where, where like people offered to, um, funded or, or whatever. And I, I don't know. I don't know why I, I hung on to it the way, I guess the short answer is that I could, because, you know, my, my wife would have been in grad school all during, uh, my video game times and when the show started. And so like once it launched and she was working, I had some like breathing room, uh, financially where I, I didn't have to like try to turn it into, a good paying job or something. I could just be like, you know, maybe, maybe this is just a cool project. And, and I've, I've kept the, the spirit of that. I guess the other thing that's weird about it is there's never been any commercials in the show. There's never, I've never had anybody on the show to talk about like a game that's coming out or anything. There's nothing that dates it at all, which I like. You, you can always, I, I still get emails and, and tweets from people all the time who are like, wow, I just discovered this show and I can't believe it's over, you know? <laughs> uh, but, but people like find it all the time and it stays kind of like, um, you know, accessible as, as time moves on. And I, I like that part of it. And, and the way that I have made money on the show through the years is just that I have this poster artist, Ollie Moss, uh, who works at Valve now, but when we started on this, he was like just making like, you know, um, poster art that was taken off on the internet. And, um, and so he designs a poster for each episode and, 
and I sell it. And that's just like where I recoup some money for the time spent. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really regret not like cashing in on it. Cause I mean, what, what's left of the inner, you know, independent internet. I, I feel like, um, this show is an artifact of a time when there was lots of independent media and, and people trying to make stuff on their own. And, and I loved that era and I'm just like, um, greedily hanging on to it, hoping that maybe it'll pop back up someday. Uh, I, you know, it's been a while since you and I have hung out properly, but in the times we have chatted over the years, one of which included a, a moment in which I was exploring some sort of similar type of show, though less musically inclined. And I'd asked for some advice and I remember, and this is, God, this has got to be seven years ago, something like that. <laughs> and I remember you at the time told me like, yeah, I'm still, I'm definitely going to do more episodes. Like, so, you know, c- good luck on your thing. Here's a couple pieces of advice. But, you know, I, I definitely have not given up on a life well wasted. And then however many years <laughs> passed that this has become, you know, you've, you sort of finally realized, you know, working on, I guess, is the new one episode nine or is, is the new one episode 10? Uh, it's eight. It's eight. eight. Okay. Oh, okay. It's I got eight. you. Got you. Got you. I know. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Like, what has motivated you to not give up on this? project like why has this stuck you know from the outside looking in sort of seems like you became a dad got a couple of kids you like doing your cooking videos sort of seemed like you'd sort of transition into a different phase of life and were very comfortable and happy in it why did this particular project that's a little more forward-facing kind of gets you out there again why couldn't you give it up like what why <laughs> did you have to return to a life well wasted um I mean, I'm definitely the kind of person who I hate to leave things unfinished. Like uh, as uh, in gamer talk, like I got to beat the game. <laughs> Once I start a game, it's annoying. I'm like, oh, I got to finish this shit. And then sometimes I hate myself for it. Like I'll spend 100 hours playing something because I just have to finish it. Uh, I, I hated leaving. I hated leaving this thing uh, unfinished, especially because some of the stories were I thought like uh, I thought what I was working on was maybe like the best episode. And, and so I, I wanted to like realize that. And part of what had kept it from even being finished in the first place was that I, every, every episode of this thing, I sort of cranked up the pressure on myself to like do something more to like do, do it better. I I would listen to the old ones and be like, this is embarrassing. I, I, I really can't, um, listen to this. And so I'd always be like, I gotta, I gotta like do better. And, uh, and you know, that's the kind of motivation that will shut you down to some degree when you face that you're like, Oh, I can't do it. I can't face this. And so it took me a while. Well, there's an Amber alert guys. Um, jeez, <laughs> oh, no. I have it on do not disturb, but, uh, I suppose, that's just, I suppose that's the one thing that I should be allowed to. Oh my God. It, Patrick Klepek has gone missing. <laughs> No, <laughs> um, uh, you're, you're forever a boy to me. Like that's my memory of Patrick. Anyway, well, don't, I mean, it, well, you don't worry. Like that's even now, most, <laughs> most recently this past weekend, I, I, not to completely sidetrack us, but yeah. I, uh, was out with some neighbors. They have two kids We're a group of families that hang out together and we were getting ready to go, but the kids were playing in this little arcade attached to the restaurant. I was like, Hey, well, let's get one more beer and then everyone will get on the road and we'll all go home. And I went up and the bartender looks at me and goes, <laughs> How old could you be? And I'm like, excuse me. How uh, old could you you be, little boy? Yeah, how old do you think I am? He goes, hmm, 17? I was like, oh, come on. Like, He's like, give me your ID. And then at that time, um, 
uh, a woman that was uh, runs the establishment like came over and like wrapped him on the hand and goes that he's got two little girls and he's here with a family. Like, just give him his beers. And you go, I go and they, oh shit, that's my mom. And, I was like, oh, okay. and, 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 and he goes, just to ear, just take the beers. They're yours. You, I, you don't even pay for them. It's like, and so I went back to, uh, I mean, what, what's funny to What's funny to me about that is you were always like the boy, even when you were the boy. You know what I mean? When you were mm-hmm. like, you were like the kid in the room, but you I just can't leave it behind. Yeah, it's amazing. I've tried to I go mean, facial hair. Complain. It's not, it's not very complimentary, and so I'm, I'm just stuck. Maybe as I approach forty, uh, that uh, maybe I can, I can get to the other side. No, <laughs> so hang on. When you, you and Leonardo beard, DiCaprio, your <laughs> beard totally worked. You looked like a painting of like a, a satyr who was going to lead a maiden. Uh, I, you know, be, so, it's, it yeah, look, my wife would have made me shave it sooner if she, but I could never, I couldn't like close the gap and it never filled in properly. I never got to have, I look at you, Rob. When I think of a beard, I think of that. Yeah, I just had, closed, fi- oh, this Rob. But I know, but you've got, you've got a Santa thing going at the bottom. Like you got options. Like none of that ever happened to me. I just, I never felt. <laughs> Rob's, never beard, felt like Rob's I mean, beard is like a like a serious turtleneck, like all mm-hmm. the way. You know what I mean? Like it is fully, um, yeah. Like you you would you would slaughter this man and take his fur for warmth. <laughs> you know. Whereas I, I frequently felt like I never made it past the Amber Alert phase of wearing. Like I felt like I looked at myself and went, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust me uh, wearing mustache. this. So I, I, sh- I, sh- I, you know, other than. Dan Reichert's bet against me getting that mostly shaved. I ended up cleaning it all up before my first kid was born because I was like, I'm just, I don't want that in the pictures. So (laughs) that's how it. So I do want to go back though, to something you were saying there, uh, Robert, just about sort of, because, because I'm curious, like from the outside, it sort of felt like the show was like all the episodes were great and everything. It just sort of felt like it was a cool project that had maybe reached a stopping point with, with life stuff happening. But what you just sort of laid out, Sounds like you were in the like you were on a roll and you were in the middle of producing something that you were feeling good about, but also your expectations and your your sense of expectations around a life well wasted were sort of ratcheting up consistently in the background. Did a life well wasted just kind of like was it sort of like left uh in situ at like the production desk? Is it a workshop project that you walked away from and like for, for years it's been sort of like Oh sitting yeah, there waiting for you to come finish. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the um, there's only there's there's a, a small story at the beginning of this episode that I, um, you know, did the interviews for in 2021. But otherwise, um, the big story in it is a interview interviews I did at game the game developers conference in 2012. I want to say <laughs> with no follow up, like as just as though they are in Amber from 2012. Well, well, part of part of it was that. Well, yeah, no, I, I don't actually go back to follow up. I stick with the original reporting, but the reporting went on for a while afterwards because it's like this elaborate story. And part of the reason that I got caught up was that, I mean, there are like I talked to like eight people in the story and it was just dealing with the complexity of that in the in the story itself and struggling also with like how much of how much I really had to nail, um, you know, the, the story down. I, I don't know how to talk about it without talking about the specifics of the story. I don't want to ruin it, but anyway, it was just like, it was, it was complicated. And also I just had like a big crisis of self-confidence. I, I'm not like the most confident person. And, and, um, 
even though this show among video gamers had the like the reputation of being like super professional or or like well produced or whatever um i had worked a little bit with like uh roman mars who's the you know 99% invisible um guy he was he was living in oakland like toward the end of when i was living in california and gotten a taste of like what the professional people were doing and was like oh and that's not what i do at all because <laughs> um, I, I just like made it all up, you know, um, and I didn't have the I didn't have like the artistic integrity to like stand by that and be like, oh, I just I do my own thing. That's cool. I, it took me a long time to come around to that. Like, OK, well, what? So what? Maybe I'm an amateur and I like figured out my own way to do stuff. Um, and that's good because there's a lot of like samey sounding uh, radio production now, you know, well, I was going to so, say that it's, it's so funny that it's like looped all the way around where so many podcasts were inspired by that generation of like produced reported podcasts that now it's almost a cliche, right? Where you like, you know, you, oh, it's a new investigative podcast from a different publishing you know, company or whatever. And you turn it on and you know how it sounds like, you know what the cuts are going to sound like, you know what the narration sounds like. It's a formula. Uh, yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's so strange that like because, yeah, I think, you know, now I think in some ways a life wasted maybe even uh, has risen in stature in some ways, because at the time and certainly in the intervening years, it stands further apart uh, from the type of podcast, uh, pure podcast that was originally, uh, you know, sort of sort of set against. Yeah, well, and a lot of that stuff didn't even exist when I was originally doing it it kind of cropped up when the money came into podcasting um i mean when i started the show i just remember um part of the reason that i even tried it in the first place was there was this guy named benjamin walker who started a podcast called the theory of everything um and it's not like a this american lifestyle podcast he's much more inspired by joe frank who's another great like old school radio storyteller guy but I started listening to that show and I was like, oh, you could do this as a podcast. And and like I, I made music. I had a music studio in my in my apartment where me and my songwriting partner were making an album. And so I had all this stuff and I was like, I've got microphones. I've got to record. You know, I've got a computer to record on. I can edit audio. And so, you know, there was just nothing to you know, compete with, uh, in the, in the iTunes app, you know, whatever it is, iTunes podcast section at the time, I, I almost said app, but there wasn't even an app. It was just mm-hmm. like iTunes was a desktop thing and you could put it on your pod, your, um, iPod, you know, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think that I, it took me a while to just come back around to it. And part, part of that is that I have this friend, uh, Grant Stewart, who I met in Athens, Georgia, when I was living there, who he works, he lives in New York and he works in the kind of like professional podcast business. He edits a lot of stuff. And he just over the years kind of like dragged me back into it by involving me in the things he did. Like he, he, uh, he started his own show last year. I think it released earlier this year called the Milky way underground. And it's, it's a fiction show, like a scripted drama that was, uh, you know, uh, funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It was aimed at kind of tweens. It's like a weird, like a twin, twin peaks for tweens on the radio. Um, and, and he just like 
pulled me into that and had me do some editing for it. And, and I did a voice. I was like the dad on the show. <laughs> uh, and, and, amazing. He, and he really just like pushed me back into it and, and it got, it got my confidence up to working on it. I was like, Oh, okay, I can do this. Cause up until that point I would open the files and start playing around with it and being like, Oh my God, I can't face this. So yeah, I just, uh, it's been a, a long, a long process. Is that, is that purely just the sort of crisis of confidence or in some ways is that you have so many other things in your life, like your kids that these are easy distractions. Like I, I, there are a million things I could be doing related to all of this. The notion that I'm also going to set aside time when I have any free moment to invest in picking up the pieces on this. I mean, I've talked about this on our podcast before. Like I always wanted to write a book and it's like, do I want to give up, you know, my evenings and weekends to, to do that. And like right now, no, but I, then I see my peers and colleagues doing stuff like that, even when they do or don't have kids. And I feel that draw and I just haven't been able to kind of like pick up the pieces there to open up that document or make that pitch. Um, I, yeah, that, I, is, is part is part of that where just life circumstances make it easier to go <laughs> to, to ignore, ignore that project file. Absolutely. And it's also that when you're looking at a project like a book or like this show, you know, where, where you know you're going to need to put hundreds of hours of effort into something, it's easy to think like, I don't really have the time for that, especially because when I was young, when I would do this kind of stuff, I would just like stay up all night. I would just go on like a work bender for days and I can't work like that with my kids. I, I you know, my, my wife works full-time job and, and so I'm, I'm like the primary, um, you know, caregiver for the, for the kids. My, my time to work is like a couple hours here and there. It took me a while to realize that I could use that time. It like, it takes for fucking ever, <laughs> but <laughs> you can push the boulder up the hill at two hours a day and actually like move the needle. And so that, that, I mean, that's just what you got to do when you're in that parenting situation and you feel the need to, to work, which I do. I mean, I just, I, I feel, um, like so bored by not making anything. I love to put something out into the world, you know, it, whether it's music or writing or podcasts or whatever. I, I, I don't want to stop that. I, I, I enjoy that. And, and you just got to like fit it in, but it's a good excuse when you have kids around to, <laughs> yeah, to not exactly, get it yeah. done for sure. There's always something else you could be doing uh, as, as opposed to investing that time in yourself. Yeah. You, know, you mentioned picking up the pieces on, on stories from basically a decade ago. I've always been interested in the fact that these, the stories in a life always said you, you sort of aim for timelessness, which is the opposite of my job description, which is <laughs> what is the thing that people are talking about? What's a good angle uh, on it today. And there, those are different modes of storytelling to try and get people interested. But you also come from a background of having written for magazines and websites in which like different scales of timeliness are involved of kind of how you're finding the angles. How do you look for a story for a life always did? Like, is it just, what is your process or is it just, you just wait for things to come to you? I, I'm just <laughs> curious how you actually, like when you open the computer, like I need to find something to report about where, yeah, like, where yeah. do you pull on a thread? Well, I, I do have a like a file that has, you know, if I run into something while I'm um, on Twitter generally uh, or the Internet in some way where I'm like, oh, that could be that could be cool. It ends up in this file of mine. Um, and sometimes that that yields a story. I mean, that's how I ended up with the introductory story in this episode. I was just like web surfing and and uh, found a found a subject that I thought would work. But um 
often it just sort of lands in my lap. And, and I've, I've discovered as I've gotten older and I've gotten to know myself that this is just the way my brain works. I, I am like very receptive to chance. And if I chance upon something, I, I'll just like go for it all the way. And, and so, you know, this, the main story in this, in this new episode, um, I, I reported starting back in 2012 at GDC, like I said, and it was just that I, uh, I was introduced to this guy, Brian Gibson, um, who is the bass player for this band called lightning bolt, uh, who are like crazy noise band. Um, and he was there because he worked at his day job, working for harmonics, working on the rock band games. And he had over the years been developing his own like game that he wanted to put out, which was a rhythm game that was eventually came out before the fucking podcast called Thumper. Oh, Thumper. Um, that is, yeah. oh my God, an all time great. Yeah. <laughs> Have you that played guy, that in VR before? Oh no, I haven't. I mean, oh, I, Robert, like I can't, I cannot, whatever your medical professional, are. professional on hand to deal with my heart attack. Like, <laughs> but, but, but like whatever your feelings are on virtual reality, like as a medium or concept or whatever, like that is one of the, it is, it is sensory overload, but in a way that is like, wow. I, I like think back upon those moments playing Thumper in VR and get goosebumps. Um, That's awesome. that game specifically like gets in. I never wanted to put on that suit that uh, the res suit that like has like the million different vibrators on you. But if I, cause I don't really care for res as a game, but if I could do that for thumper, I mean, yes, I think I might die, but I think it might be worth it. Like I think the, the, the experience would be okay. And I, I would ascend and I'd, I'd be thankful for the ride along the way. It's a, it's a really visionary game. I think it's pretty amazing that he came out of like the harmonics pipeline with something so, um, yeah, I don't know that, that game just really like hits you in the stomach. It's I think violent. that it's a reaction to those harmonics games, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think he looked at that stuff and was like, that's fucking lame. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> you know, cause he's a musician and he, you know, he was just like, this is like his day job. But anyway, like I just ran into this guy, I was introduced by a friend and, and he, we were hanging out and he just started like telling me the story and I was like, Oh, this is perfect. Um, and, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, a lot of it is just chance. I I definitely am like looking for new material now because now that I got this thing going, I just, you know, I want to, I want to keep it up. I, I don't, I, I don't maintain any kind of like, uh, you know, delusions that I'm going to start putting one of these out every month, which when I was younger, I I used to really think I was going to do. And now I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) uh, no, but I mean, it would be nice to get one, you know, Every year, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> especially because Ollie, the poster art guy, like he's so freaking busy. Like it was, it was really just to like get him um, to you know talk to me on email. I had to find somebody who worked at Valve to go and like tap on his shoulder. <laughs> hey, at Jake work. Rodkin, could you go find <laughs> Ollie somewhere in the yeah, office? Yeah, I was like, he will, he does not respond to me in any way. Could you just see if he hates me or? <laughs> Or if he just like hasn't seen anything that I've, you know, sent him and he's just really busy. So I, I, I like our like series thing going. So we'll probably keep it really mellow. And in the meantime, that guy, uh, Grant Stewart, I was talking about, we're working on like, you know, a, a commercial podcast that we're, we're pitching that I think is going to happen. That's not about video games explicitly, but we'll have a lot of like the um, a life well wasted vibe, I think. 
but yeah, so that, I mean, that that's my future plan for it. And I'm, I'm just going to be like open to the chance of finding another great story. The thing about the timelessness aspect of stories is it is so less limiting than news. You know what I mean? Like news, there's only, you know, you, there's such a short window for anyone caring about anything. And honestly, like you open up Twitter and it's just such a flood. Um, whereas if you think only about like, what's a good story that, doesn't matter when you hear it. If, you know, if you heard this 10 years from now, you'd still think it was kind of interesting. Um, there's just so much more out there and, uh, and you can take such a casual approach to reporting it. It's not this, like, I've got to talk to this guy. I've got to post this by the end of the day. It's, you know, it's very, uh, it's much more relaxed, which appeals to me. (laughs) Do you think that change in the ecosystem is partly like, you know, your background was uh, freelance writing uh, for a bunch of different publications uh, and you were you were you were great uh, features features writer. And, you know, I, I do know like the economics changed, certainly, uh, you know, around around 10, 15 years ago. They're, I mean, the economics are always changing. They seem to be always getting worse. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, so there, there is the obvious factor of rates were be- better compared to like just the dollar amounts people paid. paid today and the money was I was going to say you more. probably you probably exist, wrote in the era in which you got paid per word uh for at least for a little bit. Oh yeah, no, I got paid per by per, per word, yeah, on the on the freelancing stuff. I mean, what was it? It was like 2007, 2008 before EGM and all that stuff closed. I, you do a cover feature for those magazines and get paid like $2,000. You know, and and that was real money. Um Back then, not that two thousand dollars isn't real money now, you know. But I, it was real, especially at the yeah, yeah. That was the most I was writing for. I did occasional features for like Jeff Green and Darren Gladstone for. I guess at that point they were GFW, right? Like, I guess it would have been Games for Windows at that point when I was in yeah. college, like two thousand six, two thousand seven. And that's the most. It was like whenever I was able to get one of those pitches through. Because it was oh, yeah. one of the last of the paid per word. It's like <laughs> 600 it, words? Really? Like, it, okay. <laughs> and it was a shock to go, you know, I, I was just doing freelance because I was like spending half my time making music. And I would just come in and out of the office. And it was very, it was a very chill, casual kind of relationship with work that I had going. And then the the magazines died and they focused on the website. And it was suddenly like, do you want to do like twice as much work and have like way worse deadlines and make like a quarter of the money. And I was just like, ah, no, thanks. Um, and that was basically, but it, it came with another realization of mine, which was that, you know, Rob says I was a great feature writer. I disagree. <laughs> I, I like, I, I love to write, but, uh, I, I was always frustrated with it. I, I I never got to where I wanted to go with it. And we were doing all those podcasts at the time, like GFW radio and everything. And they were getting so much more audience interest. Like I would never hear back from anybody. I would spend like all this time on a story. And if I heard back from somebody, it would be on a message board. who was like, you probably got paid to do this. You know, like it would just be, you know, that would be the feedback. Whereas like the, the podcast stuff there was just so much of an audience for it. And at that time I was like, who even wants to listen to this? Like why, you know, it's just like, Oh, we're all just talking. Like we would normally talk bullshitting around the office or whatever. It took like no work and had way more interest around it. And so I was already doing audio work for my band. And I just realized like, 
take a hint, you know, do do the thing that, you know, is, comes a little easier and, and, uh, maybe get like more, um, you know, audience interest. Um, and that, that was really what, what sent me on, on the podcasting thing. I've always been curious, like, did you have a life all wasted rattling around? Like, was it because the first episode is right after one up got shut down and a bunch of that episode is you running around a rooftop talking to different people who are part of one up. And it's very it's a really interesting episode. It's 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 sort of unique among the life well wasted run because so much of it is it's kind of the one breaking news thing uh, that, that, that happens in, in that series, but it's, it's, it's retrospective at the end of, uh, of, of one up and, and, and EGM and that, and that whole like era in Ziff. Had you already, I'm, I'm curious to what degree had you already sort of sketched out. I want to do a podcast like a life well wasted. And to what degree was that event a catalyst uh, for, for you just like launching into this project? I I definitely was like trying to get into radio work. Um, there was a time like a month or two before EGM died, and I came and I did this first podcast where I had tried to um, cre- uh, pitch a radio story to a radio show called Studio Three Hundred and Sixty, which is one of those. I think it's a uh, PRI show. It's still on. I, I think they they record in Chicago. It's been around for 20 years. It's one of these just sort of like magazine shows. They do lots of different, um, stories, sometimes about artists, sometimes about newsworthy things. And what had happened was there was that Nintendo DS game called Electroplankton. Do you guys Mm -hmm. remember this game? It was like a Mm -hmm. music toy. Uh, what is it? Toshio. I can't remember his, the creator's name, but he was famously like makes music instrument, musical instruments and, all kinds of fun stuff like that. And he made this kind of like fun, interactive music toy game for DS. And I was like, this seems like, because it's a sound-based game, something that maybe I could do a story, a kind of review for on on uh, on a radio show. And it was, you know, in the era before NPR started having like video game reviews occasionally on All Things Considered or things like that. It was not really like a thing. And so I actually made this <laughs> five-minute story about electroplankton it was my first like attempt at making any kind of radio and i sent it to this show and they're like uh this isn't really our thing uh and but because i had done that i i felt like um i i was playing around and 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 getting uh, that format like that i had heard when i was younger i was a big fan of this american life and that sort of thing and i was like oh this is how they do it there's just some like music right here when you take a pause or whatever and started playing with it. And, and so when the magazine died, I, I had been thinking of like, I'm going to do a, a, some kind of radio, uh, show. And, 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 and I, w- I already had a field recorder that I had bought, um, for it. I, I bought like a zoom H2, which I still use. And I was walking, yeah, we were at a, we were at a party in the mission and it was all the people who had just been fired drinking and there was a rooftop and I was, I did all the interviews with the stereo mic on top of the zoom, which are like two small diaphragm condensers and they pick up everything. So it's just like, <laughs> it's just like all the street noises of the mission, just all this insane. I, I remember, I think it was the third episode, someone on Twitter, a, a listener was like, hey, I love your show. You really need a shotgun mic. I'm going to send you one. And they sent, <laughs> they sent me a shotgun mic. And I was like, oh, cool. Like, this is how you do it. Um, occasionally, listeners to the show would always like 
kind of reach out and, and help me out with things like that. I mean, that's how the poster thing started. Like Ollie just reached out to me cause he was listening to it and was like, can I make posters for the show? And I was like, I hadn't thought about making money on this. That's a great idea. Well, that's the air when he was doing all those, you know, like really got, got his name under those star Wars posters that I remember everybody. Oh, I think that was after time. actually, this was, was uh, this okay. was right when um, he did a series of is not, not penguin books. What What's the, what's the sort of uh, cheap paperback orange and black editions that uh, you know you can uh, find in every bookstore i cannot yeah. remember House, uh, no uh i can't i can't think of it right now but he did a whole series of like video game versions of those mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. and i think it blew up on dig if you remember yeah, that's <laughs> if you, if you want to start if you want to start you know marking <laughs> eras of the internet back yeah. when back when dig was the place you wanted your articles to get linked to and maybe um, meta filter. I think it was meta on filter meta or slash dot. I think slash dot was still yeah, important yeah. back then that would show up on like when I would check whatever the charts were for one up. It's like, Oh, someone posted on slash dot. Yeah. Badass. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, I don't even remember what the original question was. Oh, just how, how I had, if I had had this in mind. Yeah, I did. I did have it in mind and I was in a, a mental state of feeling like, I could figure out anything, which is a good place to be. I, I think you should like trick yourself into believing that as much as possible. Uh, whatever you want to do, just like re- really believe. You can always feel humiliated at what a failure you are later, but just going into something like I can figure this out, you probably can. You know. Well, I, I have no music brain like that. I have no like zero like zero concept how you're able to do any of that. I can understand it on a sort of a, I can see your fingers moving, but how a brain <laughs> creates music is just one of those things. It's part of why I love, you know, games like rock band. I feel like it gives me insight into a form of creation that I just will never fully grok. But as someone part of, I think what, you know, makes a life well wasted. So interesting in that radio lab sort of vein is that it feels like you're listening to a soundtrack while also listening to like an interesting story. And how does the mode, how do you swap between those or do you swap between those two modes where I'm wondering how one influences the other, where are you editing kind of a story in a straightforward manner and then kind of a musical cue or an idea bubbles to the surface or are you making music and then that results in you thinking, well, actually I could reshape how I'm editing this story. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering how the two of those sort of interact uh, with one another as you go through sort of the production phase. Yeah. Um, they, they do interact and you, you know, you're talking about like, I don't have a music brain. I don't know how that works. Um, I like, I think at its core, like music is an act of listening. Um, even if you don't know music, if you don't know how to, you know, play the scales on a piano or something, if you were to sit down and just like, you know, relax and start plucking at the piano keys you'll run into something. If you, if you just like randomly plug around, you'd be like, that sounds like music. Um, and, and for this show, there's a lot of stuff like that where I'll be like, because my method is just a big mess. Like I just have all of the audio clips. I'll have like five hours of audio all cut up into random bits. And I just start moving them around like a giant collage Um, and occasionally something will like suggest itself. Like in the, the new episode, uh, there's a story about this guy, Bubsia. He's a blindfolded speed runner. 
And I wanted something that would be like an introduction to the show that would ramp up the energy because he's kind of um, a soft spoken, a little bit monotonous uh, guy. I mean, it's really interesting what he does, but I, I needed some more energy. And so I searched YouTube for his speed runs and found one of those like Twitch streams where they're hosted by a host, you know, mm-hmm. like there's, there's a guy who comes on there and is like today's speed run. It's like a sport thing, you know? <laughs> and there's this moment where he's introducing him where he says something and it's so musical. It's like, Today, I'm going to introduce you to something the runner isn't even going to get to see at all. And I'm like, isn't even going to get to see it all. I hear this thing and I just, <laughs> I want to hear it. It's like really rhythmic and melodic. And so I just start like stacking them against each other and it becomes a loop that I ended up like doing this whole thing with. And yeah, uh, when I say like I, I stay open to just random things like becoming what I do, that's one of those things where you're just like, you know, I don't have. I don't will ideas into existence. I just see them in the murk and I pull them out and go like, oh, there, there's a cool thing. Like, I, I think that'll work. And the the trouble is, you know, when you do that, you have nothing to fall back on. You can't be like, I didn't find anything. Now I'm going to just make it up. It, you you end up being like, oh, no, what if I can't do this? And, and you get kind of stuck. But you just have to, like, keep going back and listening and, and like fi- finding something in it, you know? Um, and yeah, the, the, the music for me is an important part of it. And a lot of times, um, if I feel like if I start to lose faith in a story, I'll find a musical moment in it and just like fully go for it. And sometimes I'll do an entire insane musical thing and be like, wow, that really doesn't work in the story and just ditch it. It'll be like, you know, 10 hours of me goofing around with something like this big elaborate thing. And then I'll just be like, I have to cut that. But, uh, you know, it gets me interested because I'm always searching for like energy and feeling in, in the show. You know, I, I, I never feel satisfied with just people talking unless there's something, unless they're really saying something that's like hitting me. If if there's if there's like exposition happening, if we're just going over some important details, I need like some momentum, some feeling to carry to carry me through and keep me interested. And so that's when I kind of turn to the music. And plus, I just had all this like music sitting around because, like I said, I was in a band and, and we would make all kinds of stuff that we'd never put out. Uh, you know, I, I always say like the music is by, I come to Shanghai in reality. It's like a bunch of cast off stuff that we never used. And then occasionally when we were still playing music together, I would make my bandmate come in and be like, dude, I need some music. And, uh, <laughs> and he, it, like he went to Berkeley school of music and he's just like a little tune machine. You know, I'd be like, can you do something like Western? And I just get him set up on something. And I just start, we would like, it was the opposite of the kind of music we would make for ourselves. He would just crank, crank out all this stuff and I would, um, you know, use it with very little effort. Whereas when we would make music together, it always end up being like, let's make a double concept album that takes like <laughs> five years to make. And, you know, it's it totally comically like self-sabotage. But uh, so I have this huge library of cast off music that is part of the now it's part of the feeling of the show I can always like if I want to maintain a a consistency between episodes I can always reach back and grab these songs that have been in previous episodes and instantly it's like oh there it is there's the a life well wasted thing you know 
So one thing I'm curious about though is just um like I'm curious about like basically the uh the the degree to which like you know creative integrity or uh like confidence or or whatever like I I'm so curious you're you're a very creative person like I've, I've like a lot of your projects seem to be really well like uh seem to do really well like if we go back to GFW you were a you know people really loved your presence on that show people really liked a life well wasted um you know i during during pandemic times i was sort of struck by you just started making a cooking channel on youtube a life well tasted and here's the thing like they were really good videos uh they're really they're they're really charming uh cooking videos and there there's a part of me cuz like so my whole career profile was like uh freelancer who is like i'm just hoovering up every nickel and dime i possibly can right like will someone pay me for a thing i will do that thing how much do you want i'll do more than that i'll do more than what you want and i'll just i'll just do it for for peanuts uh and so like the the funny thing to me and i like i i admire it but i'm also really curious about it is you seem like someone who has a bunch of like creative ideas and projects that you could turn into a thing but you largely haven't uh and and partly i'm sure it's you know being a full-time dad uh, as it were does as you as you alluded to like like fill a lot of the hours in the day but i am kind of curious about like yeah i don't want to say like lack of output or whatever like 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 put in that neg- negative way but like i am curious like you know, there were a lot. It feels like there were a lot of ideas that you could have taken and run with uh, over the years, and for whatever reason, you you didn't. You didn't pursue them as like pro or semi pro opportunities. Uh, and I'm I'm just curious about like what's behind that. Yeah, I mean, fair point. There there definitely is like a lack of output. <clears throat> um, some of it is that you know the a life well wasted thing was successful enough that when i i was at the same time making music i was like oh this this was like this was successful now i'm going to be successful with music and i just took all of my um time and creativity and effort and i funneled it into that under the idea that like surely i would also succeed in in this thing which to me at the time felt much more important. Like music was the, like the core of my, um, ambitions. Uh, you know, that was like was your self-definition. I, you were a yeah, musician. It was, it was like what like I, games writing. It was, it was what I really, really, really wanted to do. And games writing was something that I had like cared about a lot, especially cause I grew up reading games magazines and I'm a big video game nerd. And I always wanted to like write for EGM and all that. But once all of those magazines fell apart and it was just this internet thing and it was like, amorphous and constantly changing and the, and the money, you know, dried up so badly. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I was wary of the, the business side of things too. And so, especially cause like early on I would get some emails from random people who would, you know, offer to buy the show or whatever. And it, and it just felt very like impersonal. Um, I don't know. I, um, Part, I, another aspect of it is probably that I don't really feel comfortable being the focus of attention. And I 
don't like fandom. Like I think mm-hmm. fandom is sort of beneath people. I think people should have some self-respect and like be on the level with the people that they um, enjoy their work. You know, I, I don't, I don't want um, to have interactions with people where they're like, Oh my God. I, I people running up you on do. you and yelling like Bobito did not, did not do it. No, no. And it's not, it's not that I, it's like, I respect everyone. I, it's just, I, I, I just really want to be like equals, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, and I don't like um, seeing my face on the internet. Uh, I don't aspire to have, like a huge number of Twitter followers. I try to you like, got out at the right time, buddy. Cause, <laughs> because it's, it was, it's all the opposite direction from uh, that, from that. Yeah. I, I sort of, I, I imagine that the future was a, was a future in which like some kind of anonymity is more valuable than, than exposure. Um, but at the same time, it's just me being a, you know, total chicken. Like I, 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 I couldn't, um, I talk myself out of, of like trying to go, to go professional or whatever, because I didn't want to fail at it. You know, there, there's, there's that aspect of it too. And because like I said, my, my wife has like a good job and there's less economic pressure on me to produce. You have the um, option to say no to any number of those things that otherwise in a different circumstance, maybe you do say yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if I had been like on my own, I would have been like you were saying, like hoovering up pennies. Yeah, whatever. Like I <laughs> I, I would have been writing whatever I could write, um, making whatever kind of podcast, selling a life well wasted to Coca-Cola. I didn't you know, like whatever. It, it's just I I had the the privilege to not have to do that. And, um, same thing with music happened, you know, I come to Shanghai, my band, uh, the third album that we made is like this big double album. And there was this, uh, label in Nashville <laughs> that wanted to put it out. And I was like, we put out our things ourselves. And so now I have like 600 double albums, uh, like LPs <laughs> in my fucking garage, um, that I'll just carry around for the rest of my life because I'm so indie. Um, you know, so that it's just, I, I do that to myself. I I don't, I, maybe I'm getting out of it. Maybe I, you know, like I said, I'm trying to, um, work on this new show with, with my friend Grant and, and I take a life well wasted seriously. It's not that I'm not going to keep doing that. It's just that I consider that to be like, uh, some it's it's established it 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 is what it is. I'm going to keep it where it is. Also, if you don't, if it's just yours, you can have your own self-imposed or lack of self-imposed yeah. debt. Like, you know what I mean? Like a commercial yeah. project that you sell is more of work. Whereas a life well wasted while is, you know, the broader sense of work, but is not a obligation in the sense of, and it sounds like you would like to have an opportunity where, look, we all kind of like deadlines because it forces us to get our shit together and to, to make a thing and to get it out the door. But at the same time, it sounds like there's also a desire to keep this particular thing, both kind of like I come to Shanghai, the music you make and this podcast to be, I don't want that thing to necessarily, it's okay if it goes away for 10 more years. Uh, <laughs> okay. Maybe not I, 10 years, but yeah, you know, what I, yeah. you know what I mean? Right. Like yeah, where yeah. I, I can, cho- I can choose that pace that it exists in and also satisfy that creative impulse to just, there, I mean, anyone that makes things like in the way that we have like written things, whether it's podcasts or whatever, like, there is satisfaction in hitting publish even on a flawed work that you have to finally walk away from. There is satisfaction in just it's out there um, um, yeah. regardless of how well it does. Um, it's just you did it. I've, I've hit complete on this thing and then I get to go on to the next one. Um, so I understand the impulse to try and have have your cake and eat it too. Have, have something yeah, that kind of yeah. – 
Yeah. And you know, it's not like I, I am a perfectionist, but it's not like this thing isn't coming out because I've spent the last two years, um, like DSing the interview or something. I, I, I just, um, it, it's really like so much of the work was just figuring out the stories themselves. And right now, like I've given myself a deadline. Um, and now I'm like scrambling to try to get some of the polish that I would like in the episode. Like I, I did spend like an hour DSing an interview yesterday. What is DSing an interview? I'm so um, oh, so like, have you ever had someone on your show where they use like a shitty mic, and so mm-hmm. every time they talk and they're like, "Welcome to," you know, like, uh, oh, tra- okay, like, I see. Like every every s and sometimes t's too will will like uh, distort and be. If you look at the waveform, they'll be really dense, and sometimes they'll be huge if they're really bad. And you can use plugins to do it, or if you're me and you're an insane masochist, I just automate them. Like I go into each one and I pull down the level to being a level that I prefer. And if it's really bad, I will take an individual word and I will EQ just that word. Okay. Oh my God, so, Robert, <laughs> what are you doing? This is all behavior learned from music world. Yeah stuff like mm-hmm. that's where i all of my madness came from because yeah i mean a blessing things, and a curse you, yeah. ha- you have the forbidden knowledge you know I, that these are things you could fix and make sound better and so you do i just happen to know that when skype like fucks up and makes someone sound like a robot you can change the pitch of the recording uh, and and you know make an eq adjustment that makes it more legible and so you just do that word by word wherever you need it our producer is um, in chat making sh- noting that no, don't, they do this on our show. It is just not something Patrick and I have to deal oh, with. And we are yeah, blissfully well, now you know that, that's how the sausage of, is made of you what gotta, we're you, turning in. Yeah, it's you know, it can it can be kind of fun to do stuff like that. It's another way of distracting you from doing the important work, get, getting like lost in the details. But, um, yeah, the other thing about like you know, me hanging on to it as it is, is the commercial market for this kind of show. All of the shows are like 20 minutes long now. And I actually considered doing that with a life well wasted at some point. I was like, this is too much. I can't do this like solo production hour, hour long thing. I got to take it down. But I, I actually feel like it really loses something when you can't have like multiple stories. There's something to me about the, it's like a magazine. Like you get, you get an assortment of things. I, I like that it goes to different places because I don't want to have an episode where it's like, oh, that story is kind of shitty. Like, that's just one of the shitty episodes. I, at least there should be like, if you don't like that story, then hang out for the the next one. And maybe you'll like that one. I, you know, I, I like I like putting them together in close proximity and having an interaction between stories. And there's just no commercial market for that. Maybe on Audible now, like they're they're um, putting out some like long form stuff. That's kind of interesting where people are doing radio style stories, but they're like two hours long. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like mini audio books, but in radio format, I could, I could see something like that. And I, I, I do a lot of like audible listening. Honestly, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to books and, uh, and I think there's a lot of, space in the audiobook world for the kinds of things that I like to do. Like I, I had this, um, um, fantasy of doing a podcast version of this book that came out last year called bring, bring that beat back. I'm trying to remember the author, but it's a a history of sampling. And he, he, you know, wrote an entire book about like 
the birth of sampling and music, which is when you take a a clip of a, a piece of music and you use it to make something else. You know, it's like where hip hop and a lot of dance music came from. Um, and in as I was reading the book, um, I was like, oh, my God, this would be so good if you could actually like have the music as part of it. But it, it's just like a IP nightmare. Nobody will let you do it because mm-hmm. we're, we're stuck in this like stupid world where everyone owns everything and you can't do anything creative with it. But um, I would love to do that kind of work, you know, if, if the right project came along to like music up a book would be really fun. I guess, um, you know, w- one question you, you mentioned earlier just about that, that strange tension between going back to the GFW days about, uh, you know, you could put a lot of effort into writing a long form story and just crickets back and then just random shit shooting on GFW becomes like memeify like thousands of people are like you know talking about etc sean elliott just reads a forum post and that's more popular than anything else any of us have done over 15 years <laughs> and and that's and that's something i'm, I'm just uh you know as, as we get to the end here it's something i'm kind of curious about just in terms of like just the creative landscape uh and, and in some ways kind of what what culture seems to be most interested in because i think this is something a lot of us uh we're keenly aware of that tension. Like just the other day we were sort of joking about the fact that uh, when we stream games, more people watch before, like when we are not streaming a game, like before we start actually playing the game that we're streaming, more people are into us just like hanging around shooting the shit or opening a web browser. Yeah. And just like, we're just going to click on links and have discussions as opposed to in theory, our jobs, which is to play this video game and be entertaining and insightful while talking over it. And yeah, and, and so I'm curious, like, you know, what you what you make of that, because I think a lot of like the creative economy right now has oriented not just around uh, turning things like that into products like, you know, obviously it's it sort of all ended in in, in scandal and the sort of rebuilding now. But like, for instance, Bon Appetit discovering parasociality uh, as part of their their, their cooking programming, uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm curious, like, do you like, is it, is it a matter of like personal taste that this stuff is, is like not necessarily what you're into or like, do you find it a little bit concerning as, as a creative person uh, that like so much value is placed not on a considered creative work, but is instead more about like a relationship with a persona? that people have. Well, I mean, I, I think it's obvious that we live in a time of mass isolation and like people are more isolated every day. My entire life, I feel like has been like living through the decline of social relationships and family. Everyone I know is, you know, their family came apart. They barely have friends to talk to The older you get, the more, isolated you are and it's not surprising that people seek out connections in that way because it's what people are missing more than anything it's like on some level like yeah it sucks if you really want to like get people engaged on your take on the you know hot new game this week but at the same time it's understandable that more importantly people just really want to like make a connection with a human being um the fact that you know 
publishers and uh, corporate interests are, are, are like getting theirs off of that is kind of funny and weird to me. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think that maybe the more important thing to think about from like a creative point of view, if you're a person who like writes and publishes things, um, is to think about like how you could serve that need while, while serving your own creative needs, you know, like you don't have to like let people into your life to, um, listen to you chat with Patrick while you guys set up a podcast, you know, it doesn't have to be that it could be, you know, maybe there's another way to have people feel like they're really connecting with you when they engage with your work. But I I think a lot of it is just pure isolation. I mean, I, like I'm isolated. I, I, you know, I live in Norman, Oklahoma. I've, I've moved multiple times in the past decade. I, I know people here mainly cause I have kids in school, but it's so weird, man. It's like being back in college where you're in a dorm and, and like, yeah, you know, some guys, but they're like guys you would never, <laughs> you know, normally hang out with, but you know, you, you gotta have, but especially once you have kids and it's like, how do you find that magical overlap of like, kids with similar ages so that you could spend actual time building relationships and friendships with people. Like that's just, that's really difficult to find that skeleton key. (laughs) And if you move around, which a lot of people in this kind of economy, like you move cause you got to get like a better job. So you move somewhere and now you're in a place where like people here have uh, friendships that extend back to their childhoods cause they never left, but you are here um, brand new and like no one's really looking to, make new friends, you know, they've got friends and it's, it's hard. And I think a lot of people are are in that kind of like, um, stuck, stuck out of, uh, social, uh, socializing, uh, stuck out of friendships. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution is, but I, I like, I, 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 I now understand when, when I, when I, when I was doing those podcasts back in the day where I said, I didn't understand why people were listening to us shoot the shit. What I didn't appreciate was that I had friends like people like I had friends. I had interesting people to talk to. I could come into an office in downtown San Francisco in a fancy building and ride up an elevator and a t-shirt, um, looking like a bum and like come hang out with a bunch of people playing video games that came out like two months from now and talking to them about all this cool stuff that I like to talk about. And I just took it totally for granted. And now, I mean, I don't know anybody where I live who even plays video games, you know? So I I can understand um, why someone would want to like tune in and hear people just kind of like chit chatting about that stuff. Cause it reminds you of those times when you had maybe had those connections. Well, on the flip side of that, like the attention economy rewards, like when you were talking about how do you, what parts you as the person who is sort of like the person being looked at, like you are rewarded for revealing more and more about yourself. You are rewarded for being more and more personal. I remember I didn't think too closely about that because there wasn't much for me to hide. And then when I had kids, I'd have a long think about, yeah, okay, um, this is like a really simple version of it, but anything I could post to Twitter would get less likes than me posting a picture of one of my kids being cute. I've never done that. I don't post pictures of my kids. I'm, I will tell occasional like goofy stories about them, but I am pretty close to not doing that anymore with my oldest as she approaches an age where I should respect everything about what she's up to in a way that shouldn't be public facing, um, given sort of like the public facing nature of what I do. But boy, 
you know what people would really like to hear is like cute stories about my kids and pictures of my kids. And I and that's and I'm not saying that to necessarily like indict an audience necessarily. I think a lot of you know, I think you really hit on like the tension that exists there and why uh, people respond to things like that. But at the same time, why I try to be really thoughtful and protective of I understand that I understand why that would be rewarded, but also my kids didn't ask for this. My family didn't ask for like I, I didn't, frankly, I, I you know, when I started this job, I didn't think this this was where it was going to end up. And it comes with its own, you know, you know, benefits, uh, but also with its own. You got to spend a lot of time thinking about what you're putting out there and what the rewards actually are um, beyond just people thinking it's interesting. Yeah. You know, the kid stuff, I, I really uh, struggled with that. I mean, I don't have like a huge following on Twitter, but kids are such a huge part of my life. It's occasionally felt strange to never mention it or, or to like post things. I have posted a couple of pictures um, over time of like my, I like my three-year-old loves to play super Mario brothers, like the original <laughs> game on, on that little game and watch thing that they put out a couple mm-hmm. years oh, ago. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, It's so tiny dude. And he's three years this, old. This thing, right? Yeah. This that little, thing, that thing, yeah. my, my guy, my guy can get to like the second world on that, on that little thing. Um, and the I, patience like, to do that. Oh my could God. I imagine my six year old doing and that. And I dole it out to him at 20 minutes at a time. Cause I don't, I'm, I'm worried he's going to have like myopia. It's, a, it's such a tiny <laughs> screen, you know, I'm like, can you play like Mario bros on a big screen or something? This is insane. Uh, but he loves that thing. And so I've posted a picture of that. Um, you know, just uh, like some of it is, is like pure parental, like I want to brag on my kids and it's so hard not oh, to absolutely. when you have, when you have like a, a platform for it. Cause everybody is like, my kids are so cool. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, I, I think that it's mostly innocent that the audience likes that. And it's hard to think of it as an audience. I almost wish there was just a way we could be more of a community that it was less like, Twitter where it's like broadcasting out. Maybe this is shaking out right now with all these Twitter alternatives like Mastodon or whatever, but I would love to be more in like an online community with people um, that I felt more comfortable with and where it didn't feel like I was just um, thrusting my information out there for a hit of pure media virality or something. But instead just, you know, there's uh, even if it were like 500 people, we have standards here and, you know, um, we don't, you know, accept people who, um, you know, post hateful things and, and harass people. And, and this is just like a good community of people. I would I love that. I, I miss that about message boards sometimes, but I, I think yeah, it's, it's probably the closest equivalent. Like it just felt yeah. private, even though it was public. In a, in and a you way. didn't have to worry about some weird, you know, somebody like showing up your, at your door or, or like, you know, threatening you or your family or saying nasty stuff about your kids or whatever, you know, you could just kind of like trust that this is your group. I mean, obviously there were people who had to be excommunicated from like NeoGAF, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there was a mean, purge. Though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's, what's interesting about people who have this um, extreme free speech idea of social media. It's like um, here we have, the means by which to somewhat break our isolation that has come over us in this unexpected, strange way, not just because of COVID, but just because of the way we live. I, I don't, I can't even put my finger on it, but we are all just like constantly shrinking from each other. 
we could make connections, but there are people who, for whatever reason, um, like just want there to be like people throwing hand grenades in there and like fighting and insulting and causing, you know, all kinds of trouble under the idea that this is like what political speech is, which is really stupid, but I, I, I don't get it. Sorry, I'm, I'm like getting off subject here. No, but that, that no, no, it was no, actually, no, no. I was actually sorry. Please. I was thinking about like what you said. And I, I I do think that is that is huge dynamic is sort of the um can everybody just be cool like is sort of a fundamental value, but I do think it is a major driver of why we end up sort of not like put in bubbles in the ideological sense, but more I think in the I'm increasingly just going to like deepen and widen the moat between me and other people uh and you know <laughs> install a drawbridge uh be, because yeah there are now so many spaces where at any moment you kind of are prepared for you know here i am out in society and the odds of someone not just being cool are really high and i do not want to deal with that yeah yeah i mean i think a lot of it is just like straight up lack of eye contact like socialization uh, between human beings without any kind of physical presence just creates terrible stuff. Like, I mean, Facebook and Twitter, those things were like electronic versions of being in a car, you know, people get into all these insane conflicts in cars basically because they can't like see yeah. each other. I mean, sure you could get into a fight in person, but in cars it happens all the time. And with people you would never imagine. Cause they just something about like the lack of connection between people, the the li line of sight between you and another pe person where you can be like, okay, I recognize that you're a human being and I'm not going to like scream at you or threaten you uh, is missing. And I don't, I mean, I don't think it's like ever going to change on the internet. I think we just need to be, together in real life uh, however that happens but rob did, did, am i misremembering that there was a time when i was still living in berkeley and you came to town because either your wife or your partner she was gonna go to grad school at berkeley and i i remember like going out and getting beers and hanging out so one day this is one of uh yeah and this is why like uh i've always thought like you're an incredibly generous person i know this because yeah i was uh you were i was just starting out and you were, I think, the only games journalist I knew of who was kind of in a, a similar position where uh, your partner was an academic. And my partner was just about to start grad school. Uh, and we were sort of choosing between uh, like Berkeley because uh, she she'd been accepted by uh, uh, by UC Berkeley. And then it was also uh, like MIT and Harvard. And so I just oh, reached man. out to you over such, one such a hard decision to make, dude. <laughs> well, it turns out it was. Uh, yeah. And and by the way, here's the thing. Uh, the thing we're not prepared for is walking into grad school is like walking into a jet engine. Like, let me tell you, after like it did not all work out well uh, in the old grad school department. It did. It did eventually. But like it was a nightmare. Uh, but yeah, no. So I just reached out to you like via the 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 one up dot com mailbox and was like, hey, like, I'd, I'd love to pick your brain about this. And so while we were out there for a like campus visit. You and your wife just kind of showed up, met up with us, drove us to um, the Trappist. Yeah, yeah, the Belgian place in Oakland. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like just sort of gave us the full download on um, grad student life, and also like I think gave us some really good advice, namely, don't come to Berkeley because uh, <laughs> like 
I do think things were going to be hard no matter what, but, uh, you know, it's it was so easy back then to fall in love with Berkeley on the weekend visit and just be like, this is heaven. This is this is paradise. This is where I want to be. And I don't think we fully appreciate how unlivable it was going to be on like a starting mm-hmm. freelancer and whatever dog shit stipend uh, like Cal was was offering at that point. And so, like, you know, we we had a long conversation that was in large measure sort of a reality check about like, yeah, you know the like Berkeley has a great trailer, uh, but the actual experience of it is, is not awesome. And I don't know if you've, if your feelings about it have changed uh, since then, but I, but I do remember like you, you sounded a pretty severe caution and I think it was, it was well taken. Uh, and we, we ended up in, in Boston. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful place. I miss California so much and I would love the privilege of living there, but it is so insanely expensive. I actually just returned for the first time in, in like, eight years over the summer and I just can't, I mean, it's basically the same place, but just the cost of living is, is obviously way out of control. And, and even like some of the culture stuff there has changed significantly. Like people don't even ride bikes there anymore. It's like super carred up. Um, and I mean, Berkeley used to be the kind of place where getting caught at a traffic light by a 20 minute long procession of critical mass people on their bikes was just like, that's just one of the things that happens in Berkeley. Like you get a giant herd of bikes and now, I mean, uh, bikes were, were scarce. It was very strange. Um, I, I love the Bay area, but man, I mean, what a, how, how it turned out was a real bummer and you probably really dodged a bullet. Yeah, I think we'd already missed uh, like some of the last really good days to to be in there, especially if you're on any sort of like a, a normal person budget. I think we got the last days like that in Cambridge, honestly, uh, as well, because I went back to, you know, I get down to Boston fairly regularly, but it, it, a similar sort of. A lot of the tech money that was washing around Silicon Valley is also washed into Boston, and they built a lot of like extension camp, like office campuses around like MIT and so it also now like has the feeling of being a giant open air corporate campus in a lot of ways. And a lot of the places where like we had our lives, the places we went, you know, hung out with friends and like a lot of that's kind of gone uh, to say nothing of the fact that a lot of people who we lived with in Boston uh, at the time also moved on because uh, the same sort of like. You can't afford to stay in. You can, you know, your career takes you elsewhere uh, and you have an opportunity to go live somewhere far away and and your money will go further and and people do. Uh, And so suddenly, you know, you're you're in kind of a a very expensive ghost town, uh, which is. Yeah, and it's happening everywhere. The same thing happened. I went to school in Austin. When I go back to Austin, I mean, they just decapitated that place. It is very depressing to me uh, to to go there and see like you go to the Greyhound bus station in the middle of the summer there's like a hundred homeless people without shoes like camping out on the sidewalk no place to go it's brutally hot and like two blocks away you can get your like $20 martini or whatever and in a town that used to just be I I paid a hundred dollars a month in college to live in the living room of an apartment bills paid. Like I paid my rent by working at the school newspaper. You know, I'm not that old. (laughs) Yeah. I'm 44 years old. It's not like ancient history, you know? 
Uh, it's just crazy to me, but, uh, but, you know, that's, that's where we're at. But yeah, no, and it always did. It always did mean a lot to us that like out of the blue, you like sort of checked your one box, your one up inbox. And we're like, yeah, I will meet with this random stranger. Uh, absolutely. Definitely is not going to like try to try to rob me or something (laughs) or just be like, uh, you know, do GFW bits with you, uh, for, for two hours over beers. Uh, so I, 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 and I have met with a ton of people that way and, and like, 99.9% 99.9% of the time it's super cool so and the the like weird 1% is not that big of a deal yeah. you just go to the bathroom and don't come back <laughs> uh good good <laughs> advice for life i think uh i'm gonna leave it there so the new episode uh by the time people have listened to this it is it is it should be up uh and so people can find it if they just look up a life well wasted in whatever is their podcast platform uh this is us choice. giving robert an it's actually deadline. it's actually only on itunes it's fine i'm i'm fine with the um i'm fine with the deadline but it's it's only on itunes i've only ever put it on itunes i don't have an exclusive deal with apple or anything i just it's never been anywhere else maybe i'll put it elsewhere if people really need it to be elsewhere I, I think a lot of people are going to ask you to put it on spotify but you you know what you, you do you you do you yeah. robert man i fucking hate spotify i i'm not gonna put it on spotify <laughs> fuck that but so, i'll put it on spotify if spotify gives me like fifty thousand dollars um i'll put it on <laughs> there you spotify go. hey look you gotta you just gotta know you know you gotta put out uh the, the measures of your worth and that's just that's just what yeah. you've done here Sorry, a life well wasted is such a great show. It you have to jump through hoops to get it. I mean, just, <laughs> I'll, I'll put it up somewhere else, but I'm not going to put it on Spotify. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, you can still get um, it through whatever your podcast, your podcatcher probably is. Oh yeah, no, it's yeah. a straight up MP3 yeah. file. You can go. Uh, hilariously, our our site exists in a previous time on the internet, practically, and you can just click the button on the web page and listen to it from whatever computer or from your phone. Um, it's, you don't need iTunes. So, and it, what, I mean, what do you got to subscribe? I, it, they come out like once every nine years. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, well, I will, we will be sure to have you back uh, in the next decade. The next time an episode drops, uh, we'll, we'll be lo- looking forward to sort of catch up with you uh, again and it's it's so exciting to have another episode of Life Always to, to look forward to. Uh, and it's it's awesome to see you like bringing this project back and, and putting more out. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Uh, <laughs> all right. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with uh, some listener questions and then uh, we'll call it a day. Back after this. Did y'all read a question about a dare jacket? A dare jacket? Mm-hmm. Oh, before we before we get to that, yeah. the end of that interview, there's a very specific thing that I say Robert Ashley is going to do. And they're like, no, no, I will not do that. He's done it. Dear dear listener, Robert <laughs> messaged me about a day ago from this recording. He's like, ah, oh, shit, I did it. So just <laughs> Spotify. Sorry, the audience is too big. <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we, we are back uh, to dip into the question bucket. Uh, I might have to just vanish at any moment because I now have the alert that Comcast mm. is headed right for me. Uh, so we will we will <laughs> Rob, see. Rob, look out! 
Oh no! We'll just do this. I I say we do this until you have to leave, and I can do the outro if you have to get up and leave. Uh, So Antonio writes, I too won a dare speech writing contest around fourth or fifth grade. Mm. I don't recall all the cringy copaganda I was spouting, but I do think I won because my speech had jokes in it. I also (laughs) had to read my speech to an auditorium of parents, but despite my initial nerves, I suddenly felt empowered once I started getting some laughs. I made a joke involving Homer Simpson, and it somehow slayed. I'm sure it wasn't really all that hilarious, but I totally upstaged the girl who read her speech before me. But fuck her, because she grew up to be a lawyer running for Republican office in our old town. (laughs) We all know Dare was fucking stupid, but I was kind of bought in at that young age. Like others, it took me me many years to realize the real situation with over-policing and over-incarceration thanks to drug prohibition. The best part of this cringe moment of my youth was that one of my prizes for the speech was a Dare jacket. And there's a photo of me wearing it and posing that night an over-the-shoulder head-turn pose, complete with a shit-eating grin (laughs) to show off the back of my prized jacket. I never actually wore that jacket once because even then I knew it was too nerdy and narky even for me. But that jacket might be somewhere at my mom's house. My question... If I find the jacket, do I bust it out and wear it these days, uh, trusting yes. it fits? That's a that's a big oh leap, I think. But I would be embracing how far I've come as a stupid kid who now knows how dumb and indoctrinating all that shit was. Or am I risking people not getting the irony and thinking I might as well be wearing some fucking thin blue line flag type shit? Help me make or save me from these political fashion crimes. Fuck capitalism. Fuck dare. And hell yeah, a cab best antonio so i think dare is now just ironically funny right. i don't exactly right. I, any, it would dead. actually be revealing a people who looked at you lesser for wearing it that says something more about them than it does about you you're good you're cool <laughs> the dare jacket is very funny to wear i didn't get one i maybe got a t-shirt i don't remember getting a jacket i guess i could ask my mom for clarification on that point but i would a hundred percent wear the dare jacket if i could yeah. Would it even fit you? That's the, it's probably a fourth not. grade well, I, or fifth you know grade what? jacket. I'm, right. Yeah, fifth grade jacket, probably not. I'm small, but <laughs> I'm not that, I'm not that small. Um, I am going to endeavor, I don't know, my mom has a big box of stuff, you know, like any parent does. I will, I am going to make a good faith effort over the holiday mm. to see if my mom, it's the kind of thing you would keep. Right. Right. Like right. you would absolutely keep. A copy, a printed copy of that essay. <laughs> oh my god! And so I have to. I'm my my mom is uh watching my kids in a couple of days. Uh, I will ask her if she thinks she has a copy of it, and if it if if we do, because people know how far I have come. You know who I am. <laughs> I promise. Wait, don't make any to read my dare essay. Wow. To you, if I can find it, wow. I am I'm willing to put myself. Out there, I, it's not my fault that I was not even making it like made propaganda. <laughs> if I find it, I will read it. I don't remember being given the option to take part in dare shit. I just remember we all just did it. Yeah, it was not an option. That, no, it was a. Cl- it was. It was just. It was part of being in elementary school. That it was. It was gym class. It was music class. It was. It was not a. Hey, would you like to go learn about how not to do it? Was that and watching commercials of uh, eggs being fried. Um, that is my that is the definition of that era of of of, of dare. It really like, prepared you for the uh, moment when your friendship with people would be conditional on doing hard drugs with them. 
which turned out to never be the thing that happens. Uh, you, everyone's getting like psyched up for like, okay. And so when a kid I thought was cool is like, hey, if you don't do this drug, you're lame. And then I'll be, oh, no, I don't want to be lame. But because of dare, I'm prepared for that moment. And the thing that nothing prepares you for is like, hey, you want to try this? It's awesome. And then you're like, oh, I don't know if I That's should. That's way more pressure than Come being on. called a loser. <laughs> and it's like, go on. And I'm like, well, you did say it was awesome. And so, that, like, you know, again, they're, they're, they're training to fight the wrong war. Who among us has not fallen to a to a good come on? Like, oh, come on. <laughs> oh, come on. Wait, does dare still exist? I Yes. What? I did a dare program. I, what? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. What? I thought yes, it was I thought dying. Yeah, we we talked about program. this. Yeah, I thought it was dying when I was doing it, because I remember there being fewer like each year, less and less. And I don't less think it's as prevalent through as my elementary school it, years as it used to be. Yeah. But it is. It is definitely still no, still a bad. thing. I wouldn't. I wonder. Would not be shocked um, if this is like a red state, blue state thing mm-hmm. at this point, right? Like when you go to you know went to school in Ohio, like yeah. like leans red. I wouldn't be shocked. And like I wouldn't be shocked if that's not a thing that like my kids experience in like a bluer state like Illinois. But that the more conservative your state, the more likely they are to tell you. To, to dare to not do drugs. I think that honestly, the dare program was was the was the lesser of the weird fucked up programs that we had to go through in school. Like I, I had to go through much worse than a dare program. What did you go through? I'm going to ask some tough questions here. Mm. Did anyone else's um, school have them do a sex ed program in like eighth grade? Yeah. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Let me finish the sentence. Mm. Uh, where they showed you pictures of babies born with gonorrhea in their eyes. What? No. What? No. <laughs> what? That's what? no. I mean, definitely seeing. I remember seeing uh, gonorrhea or like like showing STDs to try and freak you out. But I uh, I can't no? remember. I don't think it was as specific as seeing babies. No. Oh yeah, I remember seeing. I remember seeing yeah. STDs. The, guy, oh, yeah, the baby oh. thing is a step step further. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, the baby thing was that that haunts me to this day. I think about that. I think about that like not infrequently that I did have to see that. It was it was. I'll, I'll be honest, a troubling image. Yeah, yeah. What? I'm not googling. Hey, this that. happens to I don't all, need everyone. That in my brain. All of you saw this. Yes, folks, we all had to see it. I did. Uh, I did folks, not. The, Either that or I was the, traumatized and blocked <laughs> it. <laughs> Dare is having a sale on its on its website uh, really? right now. So don't give um, Dare money. If, uh, see, mostly uh, if you wanted to get this sick insulated jacket, oh my it's God. only sixty three dollars right now. Um, you know. No, see, this isn't even the right thing. It's got to have the big dare. Can I buy it? You, can I buy back. used dare jackets on God, eBay? Like that's probably. that's fine, right? That's morally oh, correct. This sucks. <laughs> these suck. These are all these oh, are bad. No. These. these 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 dare these dare jackets are dribbless. No, this sucks. Let's get hang the fuck on. Out check out the shirt. Oh, so, okay, Captain this is what we're Darren. talking about. Hold on. This I have to imagine. This is the jacket that is being discussed. Yes. Um, yes, yes it's yes, a bomber yes. jacket. Yeah. Um, Dare to resist yeah, buying drugs this and from, violence. Yeah, buying this, you know, this is just going to a Oh, person. man, what if the dude from Drive was really into making positive life choices? <laughs> 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 oh, my God. 
this is great. This, this is, is gorgeous. This is terrific. That's beautiful. That's the right. That's the right thing. Yeah. No, this yeah, is. 60. I would one hundred percent buy this. The jo- the joy I would Shit. get from buying this bomber jacket, and then like, ugh, delicious. Buy it now. I'm thinking about it. I'm gonna get to close this website. I'm gonna close this website. <laughs> Patrick. Close All right, Patrick. Website. I have a very important question for you. <laughs> yeah. Did you see this email about labyrinth? And have you reserved it for the end of year discussion? No, we we have not done labyrinth. Okay. Patrick, if you're still soliciting short runtime goatee considerations and have access to a VR headset, if I recall correctly, you do. do. You should check out Walkabout Mini Golf. It's a profoundly solid and inventive mini golf sim and a great time in general, but it came out last year. But for 2022 consideration, download the Jim Henson's Labyrinth DLC released this July. It's $3. This is an official sanctioned mini golf treatment of the story and environments of Labyrinth. What? Treated with a sort of care and production value that projects that projects a player into an alternate world where mini golf courses, not theme parks, turned out to be the apex family entertainment destination and where Labyrinth got the lasting cultural cachet it deserved. Completing the main 18-hole course should take about 30 minutes. A little extra time uh, hunting, following a walkthrough for hidden balls or going for an under-par run through the course unlocks a hard mode with remixed holes, reworked scenes, and a scavenger hunt story all of which focus on the Goblin King's attempted seduction of Sarah in mini. This is amazing. This is really well done. I just, I just, I uh, dropped a link to it in the, in the chat and it's, it's exceptionally like the aesthetic is awesome. Uh, The 20,000 leagues and missed courses are also cool as heck, but they aren't as surprising. And yes, the golf kicks ass too. Thank you, Alex in Seattle. Holy shit. Shit. You have to play this in VR. Yeah, I think so. God damn right, it. Let me see if I the list of like cool experiences that only exist in VR is increasing. I hate mm-hmm. that for me. <laughs> I know. I'm hoping the PlayStation VR two uh kind of resolves a lot of my a lot of my conundrum. Yeah, VR okay, I am only. Da- I am Fuck. I'm downloading this to my quest <laughs> at the moment. I'll check it out. I don't know if we in time for Goaty. We like the, the, my schedule is very compressed over the next forty eight hours, but I will I will endeavor to check it out uh, if, at least over the holidays. Uh, last question here, <laughs> Sebastian. We get to play it between this recording and the next one. And the next recording, <laughs> yeah. Well, I am not it's committing. Minutes. It's thirty I am minutes. not committing. <laughs> I am not committing to my the list that I say on that podcast to being the list that publishes on the website. Yeah, it's a rough draft. Yeah, yeah. Last email comes from Sebastian from Minnesota. After recently finishing Narrative Banger Pentiment, it's gotten me to rethink my previous thought of general European history as being a bit boring. I imagine that's partly due to American education where only the very broadest strokes were taught. My question, has a game ever shifted your opinion on a particular setting? On the flip side, is there a setting you'd love for a video game to do that to you? Huh. I feel like it's usually the opposite of like something will attract me about a setting or something to the game. I feel like a lot of people ended up turning into Nobunaga Oda fans, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, I feel like that's kind of like, you know, I think that series is out there being like, you know, what's cool. Nobunaga. (laughs) 
<laughs> See, for me, when I think about this question, it's more less that it flips me into a fan as more as is it compelling enough that I'm willing, like I'm somehow able to get into a setting that otherwise I find an interesting, right? Like mm. Skyrim, a game I adored, spent like 200 hours in. <laughs> like fantasy does not not nothing for me. It's a negative. It is it is dragging back. <laughs> like it is negative interest in the setting. Um, it's why I like hearing about Game of Thrones. Like, I, yeah, oh, cool. Like dragons sounds great. I've saved a bunch of time. And then, you know, I ended up getting into it because it was actually much more like grounded political world about relationships. But fantasy in general is one that does zero for me. Um, And so when I managed to play a game that draws me into that setting because of its world and its characters, I always find that to be pretty remarkable. I don't have a good explanation for it. It's not like I had a bad experience with fantasy growing up, but it's just like wizards and spells is just it just doesn't like if it was sci-fi wizards, I'm in. <laughs> like, let's go. Like, you only need a slight tweak to the setup, and then I'm engaged. But if 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 they're like two, this is like really uh, like re- reductionist. But if, like, if it's sci-fi and it's fantasy, I'll take sci-fi every time. And fantasy just just doesn't just doesn't do it for me. So I will say that uh, Gabriel Knight two. The Beast Within really made me interested in the process of German unification and the rise of Prussia, <laughs> uh, because a huge part of that game is like, where's the, like, how deep does this werewolf situation in Bavaria? I was going to say, isn't that the werewolf one? <laughs> I, I remember playing that game at my what if uh, I told my cousin's you? house because they had a, com- a computer powerful enough for the FMV. <laughs> Things kind of center on a cursed family of werewolves. And the implication of that game, if I recall correctly, and the game also gets kind of into the history of like German opera, et cetera. Uh, but one of the implications is that uh, like King Ludwig of Bavaria is basically driven mad uh, because Prussian foreign minister Bismarck used a hot werewolf honey trap. Mm-hmm. to ruin Ludwig's life and basically like deployed this like super hot charismatic uh werewolf to seduce Ludwig and like turn him into a werewolf and causing him to unravel and realize like oh man like I can't be king of Bavaria anymore in fact we should all just be Germans but like I was like wow this is pretty wild like Germany didn't exist back then what the hell is this <laughs> And so it was like kind of stunning to me where I was like, wait, like Germany's new ish. Didn't seem like it would be new, but but there it is. And so like, yeah, because of all this, like hunting the werewolf and like, ooh, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're so hot and they've, they altered the course of history. I was like, I got to learn more about this history. <laughs> I have the inverse. I, I don't know if I have a game has ever turned me on a setting, but. Um, Hunt Showdown was a game that I was not super interested in, uh, but I have a deep and abiding love for the literature of the American, like literature centered around the American South um, and like the complicated history of the American South. And so um, Hunt Showdown absolutely got me in the door by just understanding that aesthetic, those aesthetics really well and then having a bunch of good lore. Speaking of getting in the door. Comcast is in the building. 
All right, Rob oh, is going to log off, and I will I will take us out of this podcast. It's great we got through the end of the question. Yeah. That's great. All right, Rob. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye. Rob. Take care of the rest. Um, Yeah, that is going to do it for this episode of Waypoint Radio. That is going to do it for the main Waypoint Radio podcast for the year. That is not the end of podcast for the year. We're going to have, as you might have already put together, uh, a game of the year podcast where we're going to do sort of a round robin of our top tens, including some categories suggested by the audience. Uh, we are going to finally get to a Elden Ring spoiler cast. Um, those will kind of, do you have the calendar in yeah, front of you? Winter? I'm actually opening it expect? up. Uh, went to go open it up and then Asana was like, Hey, you have to log in again. So it's logging in. Uh, that happens <laughs> a lot. Uh, um, yeah. So we're, but th- those are all out through the, through the rest of the year, yes. right? Like so we've got we'll, we'll have currently both. on the on the on the on the list is Elden Ring for the twenty Friday the twenty third. Uh and the, our mm-hmm. game of the year will drop on the thirtieth. Some some pre New Year's Eve listening for y'all. Yeah. And we also I think we are going to unlock for the main feed uh when Waypoint Plus launched. Uh before it launched, uh, we got together and did an, uh, an after dark with Austin talking about sort of like this, the, well, I was about to say six years of Waypoint, but that was not true at the time. Uh, <laughs> we have since come forward in time since yeah. then, but just kind of about the history of the site, where we were. Um, and then we recorded another after dark after the launch of Waypoint Plus. Um, and so we're going to unlock those for the main feed. Um, if you're someone that has not listened to those and, uh, get a little more Dawson Walker, uh, in your life, which is, which is always good for everyone. And that'll be kind of what takes us through the, uh, at the end of the year. We had hoped to get to, uh, my turns, uh, episode on nostalgia, but the week just kind of got away from us. And rather than trying to rush it, um, and not having a, a quality discussion we thought that would make it holiday viewing uh, and we'll we'll get to that the first week of January uh, when we're back so if you haven't watched it yet you've got a little more time uh to check that out before we uh discuss that film uh, early in the new year um but otherwise that is going to bring us to the end of the show um this podcast uh, is brought to you by Waypoint Plus uh you can get an ad-free version of this podcast over at waypointplus.com. Uh, we just finished having a sale uh, where you got a discount. You can try that code way holiday. I don't know. Maybe you can break the system and still get a discount. Gone. I can't it's stop gone. you. <laughs> and don't just give them false Pasting hope. it over and over again. Um, but you can still sign up uh, for Waypoint Plus over at waypointplus.com. You help us. You help me be able to do streams like Cyberpunk. You help us do my turn. You get exclusive episodes like Manhunting, which I think is actually getting close to the end of its run. Um, I think there's only a couple of films left, although I suppose Michael Mann is still here. So the Manhunters <laughs> would still get together to talk about. He has a, F- a Ferrari movie coming out uh, next year, right? I think. Yeah, he's I, doing I something. Remember, but he's still making, he's making stuff. He's doing something. Um, our theme music is by Bowen. The track is Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. You can learn more at waypoint.zone slash Bowen. You can follow my work. Uh, at Patrick Klepek. Ren, where can people follow you? At Ren or Raven. Kato. At A underscore Kato underscore appears. You can follow Rob's. uh, I'm sure there will be many mice tweets over the course (laughs) of this coming couple of weeks over at Rob Zachney. Um, Just trying to see if we... Oh, and we also... uh, We didn't write anything uh, this week, but we did put up an excellent piece by Matthew Weiss called The Horror That From Software Lost Between Demon Souls and Elden Ring, uh, kind of exploring 
the, the themes and aesthetics of uh, that series over time. So make sure to go and check that out. Uh, but that's us calling time on Waypoint Radio for the year. We made it through another year. We made it through another year of Vice. All those things are not necessarily always <laughs> a guarantee. Uh, uh, and I, I, I do, you know, I, I'm not the person who makes these decisions. I don't crunch all of these numbers, but I, I have to imagine that a huge reason uh, we're still here recording these thoughts into microphones, releasing them into the world is because of the wonderful and loyal audience uh, that has been behind Waypoint since the beginning before we were Waypoint uh, and then became Waypoint and uh, launched things like Waypoint Plus. So thank you to all of you who uh, continue to listen and support us. Uh, We can't do it without you. And we're looking forward to a whole nother year of saying fuck capitalism, go home. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Uh, all right. So the last thing before uh, Rob will take us in uh, is we go to a website called Time uh, which is just a way of we just clap at a number, and that's just a, a, a way of having a second backup in terms of the timing for for Kano to align things. So time dot is time dot is. Oh, I like the design of this site. Yeah, you know, it's got, uh, you know, lots of different fonts, some big, some small. Well, you and, get then, a- and then and then the pop-ups happen. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, all right. This is some trashy shit. Uh, all right. Here we go. <laughs> all right. Let's clap at 40 seconds. Uh, all right. Rob, do you want to take us away? Absolutely. I'm on time. That is. <laughs> oh, 20- I'm on top. That is. <laughs> I, I am hitting record. I hit record. All right. Uh, thirty I'm seconds. Ready. Thirty seconds. Kato, yep. Thirty mm-hmm. seconds. <laughs> okay. I don't know what Kato just Wait. did there. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Something. Something's wrong. Oh, did the non-clap <laughs> oh, uh, fail no somehow? Way. Oh, no. gee, if it's only there had been bad. something, uh, an uh-huh. audio signature. Uh, you could wouldn't tell us crowd. that if it wasn't that. There's oh, no oh God, way for us to know. You would cover your own Hold fucking on. tracks back. if your backup wasn't, wasn't <laughs> it. Hold on there. Okay, wait. Oh, oh, oh my God, they died. Oh, more profound technical issues. We bullied We bullied Kato out of the call. Did that fix it? Hello? Well, there was nothing wrong on our great, end. Great, great, great. No, no, I'm, I'm right. talking to myself. Uh-huh. <laughs> it fixed it. Y'all sounded like uh, haunted spell, Mister. S- what what is it called, Mister. Spell and speak? That the toy. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yes. The toy. I don't remember the toy. toy.
That's where you could type in words and it would talk back to you. Yeah, that's awesome. Spell and speak. It was the only reason I knew it existed is because of Toy Story. Mm-hmm. Oh right, right, right. Uh, so do we need, do we need to clap again? No, you're fine. Okay. Mancata. Hmm. The audio looks so clean. Ooh. What changed? Moved everything apart. Oh, good. Cables <laughs> don't touch. Why would you even say something like this? <laughs> just re- just record. Just like luxuriate it in your much like I wear the Kirkland sweatshirt. Don't call attention to it. Like the fact that you've called just, attention to your no, I need your, uh, no, I need to grab my dubs. <laughs> life, oh, yeah. life you, you are in a bad you are in a bad place. A All bad right, let's place. go. Let's go. Right. Right. We need we need to we need to do this. All right. <laughs>